0: much horror business driving late at night psycho 78 12 o'clock don't be late i said all this horror business my mirrors are black for you you don't go in the bathroom with me
1: we recording oh yes oh perfect. Greetings and salutations. My name is Justin Lore and you're listening to another freakishly exciting and possibly hilarious possibly hilarious possibly possibly hilarious episode. You don't, you don't want to set the expectations too. No, like. I don't. I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to get people's hopes up when this is just a like a horribly unfunny episode. Anyway, it's another episode of Hard Business. As always, I'm joined by Liam, the man with the plan, O'Donnell.
2: <laughs> I appreciate that.
1: Eating a full dinner like, not even a light snack, a full dinner as he's doing this. No, I'm not. Don't reveal what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah, we don't want to... Yeah, we don't... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. We're going we're gonna to hide behind the fucking David Bowie glam exterior and continue you know, letting you people believe that this is some sort of a magical...
2: I will never eat while you're doing the podcast.
1: <laughs> we recorded an episode of Cinepunks once
2: with a full plate of nachos. That was not good.
1: Who was it? I, I forget which episode it was. It was like last summer you guys had someone, and he was like eating a fucking popsicle. <laughs> and it was like so loud and weird. And Josh was like, yeah. dude, you got to stop. You got to lean get, get away from the mic. It sounds like you're filleting something. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. That was like one of the first episodes I listened to. That was my introduction to the Cinepunks Collective.
2: Was the uh, fellatio episode. Hey, welcome to another oh, yeah, yeah. exciting so- <laughs> episode of our Business. <laughs>
1: So, uh, yeah. uh, What are we talking about? Tonight, we're going to be talking about ecological horror. Um, And not... I mean, we chose... I I actually thought about doing something like uh, The Prophecy. Not the Christopher Walken film. The uh, monster movie, The Prophecy, with the bear monster. I've never never seen it. Oh, it's so good. Um, But that's always like one of the go-to ones. Whenever there's people like, oh, like, ego horror, they go to that. So, um, I figured we could do... uh, We're going to be doing uh, Larry Fessenden's Last Winter and uh, Chud, which is directed by... uh, uh, Douglas Douglas Cheek. Douglas Douglas Cheek's Chud. Um, Is it Douglas Cheek? It's Douglas Cheek.
2: Directed by Douglas Cheek. Here's my question. Did Douglas do any other movies? Uh, Let me show you what Douglas Cheek... What else Douglas Cheek did? So uh, I think The Last Winter is a sophisticated you 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 opened with that let's watch the last winter and do eco horror it's a very sophisticated film and i feel like i've dumbed us down a little bit by countering your last winter with With Chud. chud yeah not that i don't love chud but it's maybe uh, a little less of a commentary on the state of the environment than Last Winter is. Yeah,
1: Last Winter is a little more nuanced. What else did uh, Admiral Cheek do? He did, it, uh, he did a documentary called Empires, Peter and Paul and the Christian Revolution, which... And then Vegetable Soup, a TV series from 1976. Uh, see my fart noise again. Neither one of those seem as engaging nope. as Chud. No. He, d- he was the editor for Walmart, the high cost of low price... Uh, prove positive evidence of the paranormal and outfoxed Rupert Murdoch's war on journalism. So that's kind of cool. Outfox is actually really good. He also, Holy shit, he was also the editor of Alien Autopsy Factor Fiction from 1995. That's so cool. <laughs> Douglas Cheek, a, ma- a distinguished gentleman when it comes to bullshit. I love that you were ready to write this guy
2: off to the alien thing. Yeah,
1: I, just gotta, I watched that the night it premiered because um, I watched it like that. Um but before we, uh, before we, you know, jump into what this episode was about tonight, just want to do a brief, uh, just want to let you guys know, for anyone in the Lehigh Valley or Philadelphia area, on Saturday, um, July 2nd, at the Frank Banco Ale House in the Steel Stacks in Bethlehem, they are showing my second favorite movie of all time, An American Werewolf in London, as part of their first Saturday horror series. It's uh, 10 ten fifteen. 15 it's 10 bucks.
2: Are you planning to go to that?
1: Uh, I'm... That's that's the night of uh, Josh's show down in Philly. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. Is like I I was ready to be like, yeah, but then it was like, no, I can't. So I will not be there. But um, have you? You've been to the Frank Banco. Have you ever been to the the first Saturday? I've been to Frank Banco. I've not been to the first Saturday, and I feel bad about that. It's kind of cool. It's it's they show a lot of cool stuff. I've seen uh, Aliens, The Thing, Dawn of the Dead. Last Halloween, not this past one, Halloween before that, I was lucky enough to catch uh, Nosferatu with a live orchestra playing the score. Very cool. That was really awesome. Um, The only downside is is that they allow alcohol in there, which isn't a downside in and of itself. But there have been times where there have been people who, like, people who go to movie theaters are assholes in general. Mm -hmm. And you add alcohol in the mix, and it's just like, they have no problems with, like, it's just like... That type of mentality, seeing horror movies, squared.
2: There's unfortunately a certain ironic, like, laughter, sort of like, I don't know. I don't love that. I, I've been to theaters where there's drinking and the crowd is still very reverent.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I've been to theaters where there's drinking and people are like,
2: look at this shit! Bah, oh, yeah. Rah, rah.
1: Especially with a movie like An American War for London, which is already kind of humorous as it is. Like, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I, w- I would go see it if I could. But I would, probably be, I would probably get very angry at some point because that's what I tend to do during these movies. You are a seething ball of rage. I am. I am. I'm not proud of it. Um,
2: it sounds like that was the experience you had recently.
1: Oh, oh, oh. Okay, so before we go any further and before we talk about some of these movies, some stuff, some horror stuff that Liam, uh, Liam and I have seen recently, yep. I want to talk about a movie that Liam and I saw because it's been a minute since we've recorded and I apologize for that. It has been a little bit. Um, Liam and I were unlucky enough... We're stupid enough. Let's go with stupid enough because that makes it. We were stupid enough to take a chance and go see the darkness. I forgot about this. This was your idea. Okay. Yeah. I, I claim full responsibility for this. I don't know why I thought seeing this movie was a good idea. Okay. Let's. Well, we'll put a few things out there. One, Kevin Bacon. Yeah.
2: He doesn't sell a movie for me, but he's done some things. He's I He's done.
1: I, I, Stir of Echoes is a cool movie. Yeah. Uh, don't lie. Part of your desire was that this is the kid from Gotham. I do. I I admit that's a guilty pleasure. I do like uh, young Bruce Wayne, young naive Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was some imagery in the the trailer that honestly I was like, okay that that could be that could be a good horror movie. Yep. I have never been more wrong about anything in my life. It's so bad. It's like it's so bad. And when I say bad, I, I I I don't even think this is like oh Liam and Justin are just being like snooty assholes about this no this is objectively bad filmmaking first off i don't even know like nothing happened like it was supposed to be a horror movie but nothing scary happened well i mean it's a horror movie that plays
2: off of two anxieties that i think we don't have (laughs) one is this deep anxiety about autism and i don't say that to downplay autism this is the sort of autism anxiety you have when you don't actually know anyone, yeah, who has autism, like autism is just a specter in the and don't get me wrong I'm concerned about autism I'm concerned with why there are so many more autistic kids in America than there are in other countries that's yeah. weird I'm sure that there's some environmental thing going on i 'm sure that and a movie that dealt with that would be different. This is a movie about the anxiety of raising an autistic child, yeah and the weird thing that people seem to have about they've it's now about autism but they, it used to be about kids who were either mentally disabled or kids who were emotional or yeah, like kids a, who had mental a, illness like ADD and all that there, but i mean even going back further than that there's always been a thing about kids who are somehow different i don't want to say weird or strange cuz that's demonst- you know that that's uh, judgmental but yeah, yeah. um kids who had something unique about them were somehow closer to the other side, yeah, and that's,
1: that's that's a very medieval thing. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. they used, they when people were like like the the mentally like they they would insane silums Like, they would go there and be like, "Oh, these people are closer to God because they're the others they're they're pure and they're simpler." And it's just like, uh, or you're just downplaying an actual problem. And and you know, so this movie takes that anxiety, which I I think we both feel like is
2: just a little too close to fucked up for me. Like, I'm not saying like you know. Whatever. Uh, That matters to some people. They actually care about that. That's the thing that they feel like autistic kids, scary things happen around them. And I think that that is pretty fucking not cool. But whatever. I'm not here to judge. But it combines that with another thing that I also find bordering on the offensive, which is the anxiety around native peoples. Yeah. So it's like, let's take the... And not like in a sort of benign, like Poltergeist has that a little bit, but it's so benign. It's like in the Indian burial ground. Oh, okay. You know, it's sort of an underlying. But this movie takes it even more. There are vengeful, demonic
1: Indian things. This was more (coughs) offensive to me than, do you remember last summer when we went and saw that double feature of the howling and the Manitou? Yeah. And we were making jokes about how like culturally insensitive the Manitou was. The, The Manitou is like fucking W.E.B. Dubois compared to
2: this shit. Well, this is a common theme. I talked about this a little bit with Josh, because this is why Josh hates exploitation movies, especially, like, exploitation movies that deal with race, because whatever. But uh, some, I won't say all, but there are a chunk of offensive exploitation movies that still make sense to me because they mean well. Yeah. They, they they're, What they're trying to do is upset whiteness, and they're mostly failing. Yeah. And the thing about The Manitou is that, even though The Manitou is very offensive... The people behind that movie were thinking, you know what, like, there's something going on more to the world. We think Native Americans and other Native peoples, indigenous peoples, let's say, were closer to that than we are. This is a movie basically about how Western spirituality and medicine is bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Now, in the course of doing that, because they aren't very racially sensitive, they do a lot of fucked up shit in that movie. Yeah. But nothing so bad that I'm like, oh, I hope these people have sicknesses. The problem with this movie, The Darkness, is that. It's so cynical in its use. It just goes straight for the, yeah, well, indigenous peoples worship demon y things. Yeah. And you don't believe in anything. Like, what's weird is, in the absence of religion in our culture, the supernatural horror film has gone in these weird directions like this, where it's just like, oh, Native Americans, yeah, they just worshiped fucking demons. Yeah. Hor- in, like horrible things that wiped out whole civilizations. And, yeah. you know, like, yeah, that's. That was a thing, right? Yeah. I read that somewhere. Yeah. It's so fucked up. It's so... In this environment and with these tools and with the, I don't know, glut of indigenous and native peoples who are writers and are people of letters who could maybe punch up a script for you that was a little less offensive. It's so... And again, it's not that I was like deeply offended. It's just it's a cheap move combined with another cheap move that the combination of those two things that were done so inartfully made me go... I think I might be a little offended
1: by this movie. I mean, it it was so, like, I mean, it was was so, like, they were leaning so far in the direction of, like, the magical Negro that, like, when there's, like, the wife who, uh, there's the the wife in this movie. At at some point, they just, you know, they reveal that she's, like, an ex-alcoholic. Like, it was so offensive that if Kevin Bacon had been, like, well, they're Native American spirits, so we have fire water to scare them away and threw his wife's alcohol at them, I would've been like, I, I'm not surprised that they had chosen that at all. It were like, Or like, a, I don't know, a polio blanket, like something just horribly offensive and terrible. It was so... Even though, you know, of course it's a
2: movie, it becomes an exorcism movie because of course it does. By the way, a completely ineffectual exorcism. Any modern exorcism movie, the point is always you're wasting your time. Yeah, so it's like an ineffectual exorcism, and of course they're like, "Oh well, you know, we've got all this Christianity stuff. Oh, they're native spirits. We need something more
1: powerful than Jesus stuff." So they bring in people who don't speak English. So there's still that combined like we have to go to the exotic to to fight the exotic, Mm -hmm. and there's the wise old woman whose granddaughter has to translate for and. And somehow they worked in the Mystical Oriental when they brought in What's-Her-Face from um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yep. Like, the woman who explains everything is, like, an Asian woman who's just like, well, when I was younger, our child had a sickness that no one could... And just, like, it's like, what the fuck? And then, like, Paul Reiser is in there somehow being more of an asshole than he was in Aliens. Like, it was just a shit show of a movie, and... I was kind of mad at you that we went to see it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, 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 that just like, I mean, I, I don't often take a state, like I, there's, a, there's like a trend I see in like horror fans where they're like, big budget horror movies are bullshit. I don't fucking mainstream horror. Modern horror is bullshit. And I'm always like, eh, I don't know. There's some good stuff out there. This was one of those movies I walked out of the theater like maybe those fucking idiots are right and maybe I'm the asshole for, for having faith in like a big Hollywood horror movie.
2: I wouldn't go that far, but I definitely think that you are more tolerant than I am. Yeah, of some large, I mean, the best example would be you know, you went and saw The Conjuring 2 with some amount of excitement, yeah. And my feeling on The Conjuring 2 is I'll see it if Justin wants to say it, I'm gonna say it with Justin because it's like I've just been burned too many times by these modern movies for, yeah. for my taste. But uh, that being said, again, I don't think you were wrong to think well, let's give it a chance, why not give yeah, it, yeah, yeah. And I didn't find the, the trailers, nothing in the trailers when we go, this is going to be a piece of shit. Maybe I'm just wrong, but it was, whew. I mean, well, uh, you know, we didn't create this show to shit on horror movies, so we should continue on. But I feel like it's worth saying, I guess it's not in theaters anymore, so you're probably not in danger of, of seeing it by mistake. But if you see it on Netflix, don't watch it. Skip that shit. That yeah, was terrible. That was bad.
1: That was real watch, bad. Watch Tremors or Stir of Echoes if you want to see a good Kevin Bacon film. Oh, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, so Liam had just mentioned uh The Conjuring 2. I feel bad because I went and saw that and failed to ask Liam. Um, cuz I like going to movies with Liam, but I thought he was working, so I didn't ask him. It's whatever. So <laughs> so I went and saw The Conjuring 2. I unexpectedly liked the like the first one. Now I know I said earlier I I I I always I'm not like automatically against like big budget modern horror, but I think James Wan has kind of won me over. Um with The Conjuring and Uh, Like insidious and all that. The Conjuring 2, all I'm going to say is this. Because if I allow myself to go down this road of ranting about Ed and Lorraine Warren, this whole episode will be me ranting about Ed and Lorraine Warren. Um, This movie would have been so much fucking better if they hadn't been like, based on the real life case files of Ed and Lorraine Warren, real life exorcist. If it had just been like a movie that took place in the 70s in England about a poltergeist, like whatever, it would have been I mean, aside from, like, some sketchy, like, special... Not not sketchy, not, like, the special effects were listening to, the screwdriver, but, like, some spotty sketch special effects. I think it would have been a near-perfect movie. But the fact is, is that, like, because they had to, like, keep falling back and it was a true story, and because they had to keep working, like, the Ed and Lorraine Amityville angle into it, the skeptic in me was just, like, these people are full of shit, this is a cynical cash grab that they're glossing over, and... I really can't get into this because anytime I felt myself being drawn into it, I would just be pulled back out by, like, they're distorting... They're presenting this, presenting this as a true story and the distorting facts to make it seem scarier. And it, sure. d- it didn't need that at all. No. Um, because, I mean, I, I think I may have talked about this on the show. I have, a, have, a, have had a lifelong fascination with hauntings and aliens and Big Feet and all that stuff. And one of the things I knew from when I was a young... For, for me when I was a kid was... The Amityville Hard was a fucking hoax. Jay Anson's a fucking liar. The Lutzes were, you know, they were part of a, a, a scam at, as part of the DeFeo trial. It's been, they reveal it, they admitted it, and Ed and Lorraine Warren, who are the people, the investigators, quote unquote, are charlatans of the worst kind. They're as bad as Sylvia Brown. And then when they made this movie about the Enfield, parad- Enfield par- uh, Poltergeist, which is another widely debunked poltergeist, it was just like, okay, so they're just... they're they're doing it again and so much shit in this movie was not even i'm not going to say made up but like the main antagonist of the movie that wasn't a ghost was the researcher who in real life was like these girls are full of shit they've trained in ventriloquism, this is all a hoax she was like the bad guy like she was like the enemy in this movie and i'm like sitting i was sitting in the movie theater and i actually probably said out loud like oh god damn it like what the fuck and, and then a whole bunch of weird supernatural shit that totally didn't happen in real life happened. So it's just one of those movies, like they didn't need to make it like based on a true story. If it had just been like an, an original ghost movie that was inspired by this. Well, it's, I mean, is Ed is dead, right? Is Lorraine still alive? Lorraine is still alive, unfortunately. Her husband's dead.
2: I think this is the thing. These are vanity. These are like vanity projects. It's like recently for Eric Roberts is the fucking man, one of my other podcasts. We watched a little movie called Sicilian Vampire. Uh, there's a guy from Toronto named Frank D'Angelo. He is a, uh, I don't know, soft drink mogul or something. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. Part of the uh, long line of Toronto uh, Italians, I guess. Yeah. And he makes these movies in which he's always the star, and he writes and directs them. And he gets real. Ac- I mean, this is a star-studded cast.
1: Yeah. Who, who's on? Eric Roberts, obviously. Eric Roberts,
2: uh, uh, Daryl Hannah Ooh. plays his wife. Think of think of Italian Americans who appear in mob movies, and half of the people you're thinking of are in this movie.
1: So the guy who gets hung up in a meat locker in Goodfellas, yeah, Joe Pesci. <laughs> Joe Pesci's out of this okay. movie. No, no, no.
2: I I don't have the I don't have it in front of me, and my brain is kind of like fried right now. But um, the point is, the what is so amazing about the movie is that usually a vanity project is not so obviously a vanity project. Yeah, but this movie, it's like. The character he plays, a Sicilian man, which is code for mobster, who, <laughs> who gets turned into a vampire, is so unlikable. And yet he's like the hero of the movie, but there's nothing heroic about him. Yes, yeah. It's just about how cool Frank D'Angelo is, to the point where Frank D'Angelo, not only is he a filmmaker now, and a uh, guy who's run a few companies, some well, some not well, he's kind of an accomplished singer. Yeah. So all the music on the soundtrack is him. And there's a random moment where... This mob boss's underlings convince him to get on stage and fucking sing. He's just going to sing. And he's just like, no, guys, I don't want to. I don't want to. And then he gets up. And, of course, it's him. Brings the house It's down. his thing singing covers because he sings covers. He's like a lounge singer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, uh, I ain't got no ba. And, like, <laughs> and it's not like part of the song. They do a full musical number of him singing this song in the middle of this what's supposed to be a dark vampire film. And then when he gets out, he's like, I can't believe you guys made me do that. Yeah. So this is what th- I bring that up because that's what I actually think these fucking Conjuring movies are. It's like Ed and L- Or Ed's dead. Lorraine Warren could just sell the rights to the story. Yeah. And anyone can make a movie. But she has control now. And she's using these movies to show how badass her work was and how Ugh. great she was. It's so Did you- self-aggrandizing. And what's weird is I love The Conjuring. Like, I love it. I think it's actually really good. Uh, um, I wouldn't put it up there like best movie of the year or anything like that, but for what it is, it's really well done. Yeah, yeah. But it's still such a fucking wank fest about the warrants and that, like, because she's still alive and because she has control of these things, I feel like that is the, that's why these movies exist. Let's get a real-ass director who's pretty good at what he does to, like, basically create these puff movies about how awesome we and were.
1: Th- the sad thing is is I-, I was like sitting there watching this movie and it's the same with like The Conjuring. Like I'm like grinding my fucking teeth like god damn it Ed Warren from the grave is fucking haunting me. Like Patrick Wilson in those movies is so fucking likable. So, so yeah. is Vera for I can't for Biglia is her last name.
2: Yeah you hate you hate Swarthy Whites. That's what this is about. I don't hate Swarth-
1: Is she a Swarthy White? I don't know. I'm assuming.
2: <laughs> it sounds like an Italian name or yeah. French. Something no, but, like that. But
1: even she's like, she's like, they're this incredibly likable couple. And you're like, in real life, like, did you see my Amityville horror by any chance? No. Oh my God. Where they actually have, they actually show footage of what the Warrens were actually like in real life. Like total, like at one point, it's like a, for those of you unfamiliar, it's like a documentary about one of the kids, one of the Lutz children from Amityville Um, who has grown up, and because he lived his entire life as a fucking pawn in one of the biggest hoaxes in history, he's fucked up enough in the head now where he thinks it all actually happened. And uh, Lorraine Warren goes back there, and they film, they just go through the house, and they talk about what it was like for him growing up, and he lies a bunch, and she lies a bunch, and then they show like archival footage of Ed Warren lying a bunch. And it's just this whole thing where at one point, like, I, I forget what comes out is like one of the crew members actually is just like says something like I it's something like oh you know like not you're full of shit but he kind of says like I thought this was fake and the dude goes into this like huge like are you an atheist? and the guy's like yeah but that's not important and he's like I knew it it's people like you that allow stuff like this to mm-hmm. happen and it's just like you know like the only time anything like that happens there's a scene in the conjuring in the second conjuring film where they're interviewing the ghost and, you know, he said, Patrick Wilson says, why don't you go to heaven? And the ghost says, well, well, I don't believe in that. I don't believe in that. And Patrick Wilson, you know, he plays the brave Christian man. Well, just because you don't believe in it doesn't mean it's not real. And he holds up a cross and stuff happens. But it's like that's how the Warrens were in real life. They weren't these, like, compassionate crusaders to help people. They were like fucking charlatans out to make a buck. And they preyed upon people's uncertainties. And it's just disgusting that they've... I hate the fact that they've made two great movies. Well, three if you count Amityville, the Amityville Horror, because I like that movie, even though it's nonsense. Um, all these, like, fucking assholes. And I wish Ed Warren was alive so I could wish him dead. Like, Okay, that's a little dark, but... It's true. He sucks. Fuck him. So, continuing on. <laughs> Enough of my hatred about the Warrens.
2: Yeah. I saw a little movie called The Shallows. Ooh. Let's go ahead and
1: get this out of the way. Apparently, people don't like Blake Lively very much. Yeah, uh... It, it, that's what a lot of people were saying, that she was too weak to carry this movie. Mm. I wouldn't even say that.
2: I would, I'm going back to her as a person. First off, I've heard a lot of negative feedback. Apparently, Blake Lively has said some sus, some sus things.
1: Mm, I don't some, like sus things.
2: Apparently, she said some things about people of color, mm. about uh, the trustworthiness of the police. Uh, a couple of weird things about trans folks. Apparently, she's one of these uh, young white women who likes to open her mouth and put her foot directly in it. So when I was like, I all, saw the all, shallows, people were like, fucking Blake Lively. Let me just put this out there. I don't know who this woman is. Everyone's like, oh, she's on Gossip Girl. Do I look like I fucking yeah, watch does Gossip, look Girl? Like he
1: watches Gossip Girl?
2: I don't know who, I literally don't know who she is. And I will say this about the movie. Um, I think people, also people are somewhat offended because there's a lot of the movies, her butt. And just, like, shots of her on her surfboard, even after she's (laughs) attacked by the shark. I mean, spoiler alert, but you should know this. It's a movie about sharks where she's surfing. She gets bit by a shark. Yeah. And then she's just about how she's going to survive. And I will say, I, I don't think the movie, this makes the movie bad. I will say there is some shots of her, like, as she's dealing with her massive shark wound, where I'm like, hey, man, I'm less interested in her butt. Yeah, and more interested in the fact that she's got a big bite on her leg. Like That's yeah. what we should be focusing on. And uh, you know, maybe they were trying to play down the gore or whatever, but they try to make her look kind of hot through the whole movie. And at some point, she's not hot. She got bit by a shark. She's barely surviving on a rock. I'm not sexualizing this moment. And if you are sexualizing this moment... There's something fucking horribly <laughs> wrong with you. What is your fucking <laughs> yeah. issue, man? Um, I think there's also some talk about the movie's racist, but I think that's stupid. Uh, at least I didn't see anything in it. But it doesn't matter. This is all I'm going to say. Look, if you're into B-movies about sharks, it's a pretty okay B-movie. about. I mean, it's
1: certainly better
2: than most of the derivative it's Better
1: than was, 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 it, was it better than uh, Open Water? Did you see Open mm. Water? So this was brought up to me
2: by a few people, actually. Like, oh, how does it compare to Open Water? What did you think of Open Water? Never saw Open Water, so oh, I have okay. no idea. It's a little CG heavy. I'll put that out there. I heard the CG it, was good, though. It's fine. It's actually pretty good. But yeah. it's, um, you know, I grew up with Jaws. Jaws, yeah. I mean, the fucking shark didn't work, Yeah, it worked for me, if you know I, what I'm saying.
1: I heard that there is a seagull in this movie named Steven Seagull. There is.
2: <laughs> Not going to lie, Steven Seagull is like the best part of the movie. Yeah, I want to see it because of um, Steven Seagull. It's good. I mean, here's the thing. There aren't enough people in the movie for it to be that. Part of, for me, what's scary about a scary movie with a monster or something, yeah. is that this is, I call this the fog problem. Lots of people love The Fog. Yeah. It's popular. I don't know if I've said this on the here before. If I'm repeating myself, I apologize. But here's, here's the thing with The Fog. People love The Fog. I love it in the sense of it's very carpenter. It's very pretty. It's got a
1: great soundtrack. Oh, yeah.
2: It's not scary, though. And here's why. Very soon into the movie, you discover that the, the fog, the pirates or whatever they are in The Fog, the cre- the, the dead people in The Fog, yeah, yeah. they've only got to kill what? Four people? Five yeah, people? Yeah, it's like, it's like the and they've already, They've already killed two people. So there's literally three people, three more dead people. Yeah. The fog is over. There's six people. Honestly, if I'm one of those six people, I go, "All right, who are we gonna kill, guys?" Yeah, yeah. Actually, it's not even. By the time they figure it out, there's only two more deaths. They've killed four people at that point, and it's, I think it's a total of six, something like that. Point is, is that there aren't enough people left to get killed. Yeah. And you can already guess which ones are going to get killed. Yeah, yeah. Of which of the remaining, it's sort of the same thing, like. Yes, I want her to get away from the shark. There's some tension there. But um, you know, I, I I just didn't it wasn't as tense as I would like. There weren't enough if it was like she's trapped on a boat with like seven random people, I'm like, oh, some of these people are gonna eat it. Like that's what's yeah. gonna happen. And they, they work some there's some other surfer, they work some stuff in eventually and it, it there's a it ramps up the tension a little bit. I don't want to ruin it for anyone. But I will say this. The movie has the Denouement, you know, like it has like the uh, climax and a little bit of a denouement and then like an extra end part that -hmm. I guess is supposed to wrap the whole thing up in a package. Yeah. The extra end part is so fucking corny bullshit, corny ball corn, it almost ruined the whole movie for me. It's so corny. Like literally, I would tell you that when the climax happens and the movie's basically done. Before it fades to black and it goes to the final sort of zinger, just leave, just leave the fucking. It. And it's not a, it's not a horror movie zinger like the shark doesn't jump back out of the lake, so <laughs> to speak. But like, you know what I mean. But like, it it's just. The end is dumb. I just thought it was dumb, and some people were like, "No, it was touching." Yeah, fuck you. I hope you get touched. No, I'm just kidding. But, whoa, uh, whoa, whoa. No, but uh, but it's not. It just it annoyed it annoyed me. But overall, I mean, here's the thing with with it. I liked. I left being like, "Oh, I'm glad I saw that. That was yeah. fun." I'm like, what, what did other people think of this movie? And go on to old internets, which is always a bad idea. And people are like, well, best movie of the year. The best shark movie since Jaws. Oh, the horror has a new high point. Yo, all of you can fucking die. It's like, uh, I know the bar is low for shark movies. Yeah. And if you've been waiting for a good shark movie, you're so stoked that this movie's out. But it's not that. It's like manageable. Okay. Blake Lively's fine. The
1: shark is fine, but it's not that great. A movie. On a scale from Jaws, th- on a scale from Jaws three being terrible and Jaws being amazing. How would you rate this movie? Why'd you have to go with Jaws three? Should have go with Jaws four. No, Jaws, Jaws three is way worse than Jaws of revenge. Really? Jaws of revenge has fucking Mario van people speaking in a horrible Jamaican accent. And, uh, the shark roars.
2: <laughs> I forgot about the roar. Yeah. Um, but I kind of like Jaws three because I got to see it in three D. Okay, fair enough. But uh, well, let's put it this way: it's no Sharknado, you know. It's it's definitely good. It's definitely an enjoyable <sighs> okay. film.
1: Sharknado, fuck, fuck irony and fuck all that. Yeah,
2: but but is it is it at the Jaws level? No, no, no. The tension's not high enough. The whole intro. I mean, uh, there's a lot of her just surfing with some other dudes. Like they're just sur- it's just cool surfing. Yeah. And at first, I'm like, oh, she's a good surfer. That's cool. We're getting to see that. It goes on for a while with this techno beat. It was just like, and I'm like, oh, I don't really care that much about yeah. surfing. That's not really a thing. I'm like, oh yeah, I hope there's more shots of surfing. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. Uh, again, the seagull's charming. The shark is pretty well done. She there's a couple of decisions that are like kind of witty as how the plot sort of works itself out. Yeah, but it's nothing. It's just like, hey, I want to see a summer movie with a big ass shark cool this is this is what that's what it is this is what you're going to see is good and i will say on a positive note it is one of the better uses of so, there's a lot of actual like i don't know if social media is the right term but there's a lot of like cell phone usage Yeah. and it shows you like she's facetiming people and it 3d shows the facetime like on the side like you get a shot of her and then over it there's like a translucent shot of what's going on in the facetime of the that's two pretty faces. Cool. and it's interesting to see in not a technology film that they yeah. would go to that extent. I thought it was well done. I thought it was an interesting, innovative way to show that because that's part of the story is her interacting over yeah, yeah, the phone. Yeah. And rather than just sh- doing a split screen of their two faces, this is a cool way to get that effect while also still seeing
1: the beach and whatever, whatever. Hmm. Interesting. I might have to. I mean, I was gonna, I was gonna check it out anyway, but now I'm a uh, I'm even further. I I won't go see Independence Day: Resurgence for a second time like I was planning to.
2: We won't go you there. You motherfucker. We won't go there.
1: All right. So uh, anything else coming up you want to talk about before we jump into the uh, the old meat and potatoes and shit dick of the episode?
2: Jul- I think it's the 18th of July is Carpenter Weekend at the Mahoning Drive-In.
1: Is that the 18th or is that? I don't know. No, 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 no. That's, that's, that's the last weekend in July. Oh, you're right. No, yeah. it is the last weekend. Okay.
2: Yeah. Well, we got a while. We'll record before then. Yeah. No, I think that's it. I, at least nothing horror related that I can think of.
1: Um, okay. Yeah, Alright, then we're going to take a short break and when we come back we're going to talk about 1984's eco-horror classic and my favorite Daniel Stern movie Chud. Mm -hmm. Stay tuned
0: Beneath the city of New York are living catacombs an endless maze of subterranean tunnels unfit for anything human Unauthorized for anything experimental.
2: Hold it! Let's not moving up ahead at the top!
0: And unlikely to bring anyone down there. So... They're coming up. Chud. Chud. Check your basement. And your bathroom. Keep off the street. And try to hide. But remember, the dark is their place. The night is their time. And tomorrow, the only things living in the city of New York will be Chud. Chud. Cannibalistic, humanoid, underground dwellers shut they're not staying down there anymore okay let's start
1: and we're back
2: (laughs) that was so it's that what made that particularly loud too is you don't usually talk into the microphone you like to you like to do this a lot i do that you do this a lot Mm -hmm. so then when you said we're back you were like right in it like it, it was really like you're you were about to start a youth today
1: song yeah, you know, a youth, not the youth of today's song, just a youth of today's song. Which you? Would, what do you mean, the youth of today's song? I'm saying there's only one youth of today song where Ray Capo yells, we're back. There's not like a multitude of them. Oh,
2: I forgot that that was, I was being, I just was thinking of him yelling into the microphone. Not, it's
1: not like I said, like we're the, back. It's not like I went, chud, and you were like, oh, it's like that youth of today's song, you know, where he Fuck. says the name of the song at the beginning, which could be any number of songs. Shut up. All right, so we're going to talk about 1984's Chud. Break down the walls. <laughs> Evan's Prejudice. Look at you now. Um, so that was a little inside joke right there. Friend of the podcast, Evan Villella. We love him very much. Um, so, okay. So we're going to talk about Chud. It's Chud. Yeah. Chud or Chud. Because I've heard it pronounced Chud. Those people are stupid. They're very dumb. Because actually, yeah. Um, I mean, I, 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 yeah, they say Chud in the movie. Yeah. Well, it's, it's also in the Stephen King book, It. There's the umlaut. Well, so, anyway, so 1984 is Chud, which is basically, to, to to dumb it down, is, not dumb it down, but takes place in you know New York City in the 1980s, aka the best era of New York City, um, when homeless people start disappearing, weird mutilations start turning up, and then people, there's like a cop, and a street, he, what would you call Daniel Stern's character? Not a street, pre- he, he calls himself the preacher, but he's not an actual preacher.
2: No, it seems like he his interactions with what's the name of the actor who is the photojournalist? John heard. So his interactions, interactions with John heard suggest that, uh, he's kind of like a ne'er do well previously, but some sort of like social, uh, responsibility has caused him to open up this soup kitchen in a church. And it's to be clear, it's an abandoned church. He's, he's found this old church in a part and, and it's, (laughs) <laughs> we realized looking you know, looking at the map that this part of New York is actually one of the nicer part but of yeah, New York yeah. now. But in the 80s, this is a pretty rundown. So the idea that there'd be a church that would just people had just been like, fuck it, we're out.
1: Yeah, yeah, they just and left it.
2: And he's just moved into this abandoned space and he's running a soup kitchen, basically. And so everyone calls him the reverend, I think just because it's in a church.
1: Yeah. So basically, this this character, who's a really great guy, I mean, I think it's kind of gets lost in this movie, is he's actually like, a really like kind-hearted person. He's just They think he's a lunatic. They discover that beneath the streets of New York City have evolved a race of monsters that used to be people, and it's never really clarified if they're former homeless people or maybe former scientists who were exposed to this stuff, but either way, they are now horrible, horrible, cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers, a.k.a. chuds, who start uh, eating people... Um, and at the opening of the film, a it's it's sort of one of those things where like no one really cared because they were just like eating homeless people and people were just like ah oh, whatever. But then like someone from high society gets taken and then it becomes a problem, which is actually despite the fact this movie being kind of low brow was actually sort of a brilliant uh, thing to to talk about. But anyway, and then mayhem unfolds, shadowy government stuff gets revealed, and um, yeah. Just you know, classic eighties horror. I think
2: uh, we should be clear in order to discuss this movie. There'll definitely be spoilers. I say that um, we don't do that. We don't always say spoilers, but I think uh, the th- the weird thing about Chud is that there's a lot of people who haven't seen it.
1: No, it's it's one of those like movies that's like pretty widely known, but not everyone has sat down and be like, "Let's watch." Yeah, yeah, this movie, which uh, I think you should. Oh yeah, it's a, it's definitely a great movie. I mean, it. Uh, the creature design is a little over the top and doesn't make much sense, but it's still really, it's still, I mean, they don't, the monsters don't look like people who have been mutated. They look like monsters, but it's still, it's still creepy. Like there's still some creepy parts, especially when they're like walking around the apartment when they're out of place of the sewers. It's really, it's unsettling. I mean, I think it's, I, I feel like the creature
2: design is a little limited only in that they've got these masks that are pretty good. Yeah. But then the, the they have like uh, these claw hand things. Yeah, There's which prosthetic are not hand good. Things, which are not good. And honestly, the only reason the mask to me really works so well is the glowing eyes. Yeah, all of them have these glowing eyes. Uh, I think in the apartment scene, it's done pretty effectively. Some of the shots of them in the sewer feel kind of haphazard, and yeah. I think partly that's like they don't want to reveal. Too much, of the, yeah, of the creature design, but but some of the shots, like the shot when they're all kind of congregating, is weird around the the goo. It's yeah, it's not very well done yeah. in that sense.
1: Um, but the reason the reason we're doing this because in, the, in in the episode about ecological horror is it's revealed that the origins of the chud is, the chuds is that the government was for whatever reason, and it admittedly doesn't make much sense, but I'm totally willing to give it a pass. The government was just storing contaminated radioactive just shit under, under New York City. Like, a lot of it for a long time. And they didn't think it would be a problem. And then when it became a problem, they tried to cover it up and only made things worse. Uh, I have a couple, you know, what I've always felt that it was sort of a metaphor for. But, Liam, what did you think it was a metaphor for? A metaphor for? Because I think this movie, despite being, like, kind, like I said, kind of low brow it is sort of, you could pick it apart and really. Yeah. I mean, I think when it comes to the ecological
2: aspect, I mean, I think it's most directly just about how untrustworthy uh, the government is for folks when it comes to our safety. Yeah. That uh, it's not clear who this guy works for. No one really knows what the stuff is that's under there. It becomes clear. Uh, remember, the the first reason is we want to move nuclear material through the city. Yeah. And they stopped us, and that's why it's here. And then it becomes revealed that that's not the case at all, that, in fact, part of the point is we're just going to dump stuff in cities. Yeah. It's like, uh, what is the name? So the, we see the thing CHUD is the acronym. Contaminated.
1: And the the acronym that, that that's usually coming up with is the cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers but he uses that as a as a as a distraction from what yeah. it actually stands well, it's for it's like contaminated hazardous
2: urban disposal urban disposal yeah yeah and the idea being is that the government cares so few fucks about urban life yeah that the place they choose to store and just get rid of some toxic gunk which is becomes clear it's not even nuclear waste, it's some other level of thing that yeah. we don't know what it is. Yeah. They're we're just gonna put it under New York City. I mean, why not? Who yeah. cares? And I think that like as you said, oh that's kind of ridiculous. But I don't know. I, I think what, what it is a exaggeration of is a feeling of the reason things are so bad in the city. The reason thing reason that things are so and you know, by eighty three, eighty four Things are actually starting to pick up a little bit, but in popular culture, representation of media, that's not what you're going to get. All representations of New York in the 80s are like, it's still a hellhole. You it's know, like it's the Ninja
1: Turtles, you know, yeah. there's like they're skateboarding all the time and like, yeah.
2: yeah. And so there's, you're still going to get that representation, even though if you talk to actual like urban development people, things were starting, just starting to improve at that point. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. It's been over a decade of just decay, crime. Um, just you know and and that part of this you know it's set oh they say in the movie what the corner and i wanted to i was like oh that's interesting i want to go the street there. corner yeah yeah it's like lehigh and something or um, lafayette no it's lafayette and maine or lafayette and maple or oh they say it in the movie and i don't remember but the point is is that it's basically that part of if you're familiar with manhattan where it's like it's not quite the Lower East Side. It's like the Bowery area. Because they actually make
1: a reference to when they find one of the bodies, like, oh, are you sure it's not a Bowery bum? Yeah. like You remember, that was a term, too. Like, Yeah. We've talked a little bit about
2: ages, eras. I, I do actually think in understanding these movies, that part is important, or going the other direction, that these movies, when you watch a movie like Chud, you're actually seeing something about the New York psyche in the 80s. Like, okay, A, that anyone willing to help the poor is a crazy person.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
2: they are probably right. They actually are probably right about how the world is, but it doesn't matter because who's going to listen to them. And that's that's the Daniel Stern character, that Daniel Stern is actually the hero in a lot of ways. He's the one positive character who, like, A, is almost always, everything he says, no matter how crazy it sounds, is right. B, he's actually sacrificing for other people. He's actually trying to help people. And he's actually trying to, like, keep this chud, epidemic once it becomes clear what it is from spreading he's like the most heroic character in a lot of ways yeah and yet every time he goes off on a rant and people don't take him seriously even when you know he's right some part of you is like yeah he is
1: crazy huh yeah like even when he's like he's i love the part where they're in like the um uh, the mayor's office or whatever and he's like talking about he's like no these guys know what's going on They're down there trying to cover this up and they're like, You ain't got no proof, you're crazy And then he's like, No and he pulls up like a Geiger counter, a fucking boot and all this other shit and you're like, Oh, I guess he was right. He found that means they were down there and they're still just like (laughs) This guy and you're like yeah, and this guy you know like you know I'm going with the bad guys. This guy is fucking crazy. He's got a boot. Like,
2: <laughs> I mean, so the 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 characters. Let's let's break this down. As we said, there's the Daniel Stern character. Then there's the police officer character who struck both of us as very familiar. Only when we
1: looked him up, he hasn't been in that much yeah, stuff. Yeah, I, I I thought he was in all the shit, and it was like, oh no, he's the he's the dad from fucking star. He's Rico's dad from Starship Troopers. I mean, he's he's been in other stuff too.
2: Look up his IMDb, but it's not that much. And what we found out. He actually co-wrote this movie, which yeah, is kind of yeah. weird. But so there's a police officer. He's only getting involved because his wife is taken
1: by the Yeah, tuts. spoiler. His wife is the woman in the beginning who her and, her and the dog get taken. Yeah, I
2: think we're, we're, we're going to be spoiling things. So that's just yeah. how it's going to go. But yeah, we see this woman disappear who's walking the dog. I mean, she kind of seems like a caricature of a yuppie at this point. Yeah, totally
1: out of place. Like, in yeah, this, like what is like, she
2: doing in this neighborhood? Yeah. But, I mean, I guess that's New York, right? Is that like at that point people had started to move back into Manhattan regardless of what it was like. Yeah. So anyway, she gets taken and he's distraught, but it's really clear in the movie that he's only getting involved because of his wife. Yeah. If it's at the point where it's like, Oh, all of these homeless people are disappearing. No one cares. Yeah,
1: they, and they, I think Daniel Stern's character like calls him yeah. out on this. Like, yep. I put, I, you know, I put the first missing report, missing persons report in like, like a month and a half ago why are you down here now right and then and then this fancy woman disappeared and then the other
2: character is what is his
1: what is the actor's name again uh, i believe john heard
2: yeah john heard he plays this uh fashion photographer who has designs on being a real for you know a photojournalist yeah, yeah and he's done this one feature on homelessness and really he just went in down to the underground uh and for those of you who don't know the part of the premise of this movie is that there are people who live underground, yeah, and that the, this is who this chemicals are affecting, and then once the people become chuds, that's who's getting attacked and eaten and all this stuff. Um, I guess part of the thesis seems to be that people didn't know that that this guy does this photo expose of the people living underground, and it got him some attention because people didn't realize that that was a thing, which, in case you're wondering. That's a thing. Yeah, like, there
1: actually is a massive labyrinth of tunnels. Yeah,
2: and like and, a whole and,
1: society of people under there. Yeah,
2: and it's not just in New York, Philadelphia. I mean, I, it's not it, the tunnels in Philadelphia are not anywhere near the extent that are in New York. But there are folks who live down in the tunnels. That happens. So yeah, um, that is just a reality. And so I think that um, that part is interesting. I've I've definitely talked to people who are like, "It's so weird, all these people in the subway," and I'm like, "No, that's." that happens I and mean, yeah. they're down there. Um maybe not maybe not to extend it is in the movie. I mean in the movie it's a lot of tunnels but you know it's it's not too off. So anyways, oh uh, he also is involved in the story but again he doesn't have the commitment of it's it's almost like his interest he takes I mean on the positive side he treats these folks who are living in the tunnels like real people. Yeah, He doesn't uh, disown them, but he doesn't have the same passion for them that Daniel Stern's character. No, has. he
1: he definitely he doesn't disown them, and he he doesn't um, he doesn't have like the disdain for them that most of the other characters do. But at the same time, he views them. I don't think he views them completely as actual people. They're more like something to be photographed. They're yeah. more like subjects of his art than not actual people. Yeah, and his intent is good, but it still comes down to the fact that it's like that's what they are at the end of the day to him is like they're, they're not fully realized human beings. They're something to be photographed.
2: So I don't think that this is a coincidence. I mean, we've got the police officer who only cares about the issues once it affects him personally. There's a self-interested documentarian, journalist type who yeah. cares about these issues as far as they will benefit his career. And then there's the one guy who actually cares enough to do something who is such a fucking wackadoo <laughs> that nobody will take seriously. And then there's even the innocent bystander, which is the fashion slash photojournalist photographer's lady friend yeah. who just gets caught up in the drama of it all. Yeah. And I think that though those are just useful moments in the story to move it forward. They're also kind of caricatures of what kind of could describe a lot of the people in New York and what they're going through. And then you have the true enemy, which is not the chuds. It's the fucking U.S. government. Yeah, this guy who is just like, I don't know, there's some
1: things. Who knows? I don't know, whatever. This like like, menacing scowling government bureaucrat who is just like, I mean, he doesn't even try to lie at some points. He's just like like when, when Daniel Stern presents him at the Geiger counter, it's like if you're not down there, how did this stuff get down there? And he's just like, "Oh well," like doesn't care right. at all. Like right. doesn't give a fuck that he's been caught lying. Just doesn't give a shit. Like, yeah, he's
2: kind of um, he's kind of a very. I think you. It's easy to downplay how nefarious of a character he is in he's the story. Horrible. Yeah, and that his whole thing. I mean, he's partly motivated by fear. He doesn't want to get caught. Yeah, but uh, um, just this complete lack of concern for the entire city of new york let's let's be clear so they decide okay there are creatures down there yeah first he tries to play off like we killed all the creatures then there's this slaughter there's this uh diner if you've ever actually been on lafayette street you know there's this like old school diner that's not like a hipster bar but at the time it's just a normal diner and the chuds are just come out of the sewer and go crazy and John murder Goodman, everyone. John Goodman, a young John Goodman is one of the people John Goodman is so good at yeah. this one little bit. He's just being an asshole cop hitting yeah. hitting on the waitress at this diner Yeah, and then the chuds slaughter everyone. And it's only at that point that he's like the guys like all right, we got a plan and they're going to gas the chuds.
1: Well, they didn't they they don't say they're going to gas them. They say use the gas. Now, we don't know if they're talking about are they going to dump gasoline down there? Are they going to use nerve gas? It's just get the gas and it's like All right? Like, so what, are you going to blow them? Are you just going to... You're going to blow up New York City, basically, to get, like... I mean, I
2: think his intention is not that the gas would ignite, but the idea being is, like, look, we've got gas lines. Yeah. They go through the tunnels. We just empty them into the tunnels, and then the gas will kill them off. And it's so st- what? we're going to fill all the tunnels in Manhattan with a flammable gas. Yeah. And I'm sure that'll be fine.
1: Yeah, I'm going to hope that there I mean there can't be any sources of ignition down there. What are their subway trains with fucking sparks flying off of them? Like NBD. Yeah. And another another thing I love about that scene is like they show the diner. There's very clearly like a massacre. And I don't mean, like, like, a, like, a gang fight. I mean, like, a fucking, like, werewolf massacre. There's blood everywhere. Like, the windows are all broken out. And there's reporters at the scene. And you can see over their shoulders blood everywhere. And they're like, well, we still don't know if anyone was killed or what actually happened here. And then, like, no one's, like, And they're just, like, the gov- like this government agent guy is just, like, trying to shut down the media and failing miserably. And then the uh, disgruntled, or not, would you, would you describe the cop as disgruntled? Like, the main cop. At that point, yeah, because his at wife that, is dead. At that
2: point, he is. he. They find his wife's head in yeah. the river. Yeah. And I think at that point, he goes
1: from, like, I'm just trying to figure this thing out, man, to, like, fuck everybody! Yeah. he shows up, and he's like, I'll tell those journalists what happened. And it's like, I, do the journalists really need to be told the details at this point? I mean, there's a fucking diner with ripped up people right over there. Like, are they just not concerned unless it's, like, you know, I, I don't know. It was just one of those, like, funny things, like... Are people, this, are people really this ignorant that they need to be told, like, oh, I know what you're seeing you think is horrible enough already, and, but here's what makes it truly horrible. It's the chuds that are doing it. Like. And then, of course, the, the, somehow the, the U.S. government guy is like, cowed in the submission by, uh, you know, he's afraid of people finding out what's going on, like, you know, so they have to gas him and kill people, kill Daniel Stern, basically. He doesn't die. That's not what happens. Daniel Stern lives everyone settle the fuck down
2: (laughs) well I mean so if you think about it it's a pretty tight plot like not there's not much development there's not like a there's not like a arc of action where it's like here's our various plans for dealing with the yeah. chuds It it's all just sort of like reaction to things this happens and then that happens and this and then oh my gosh we got to get away because yeah, yeah, we're yeah. down here with the chuds and the gas and there's gas shuds and <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah. it's it's it, it's very much all of the real drama
1: and acting there's a lot of chud driven action in this movie,
2: well, but I, a lot of the actions actually comes because of the government guy. The chuds are there because of what yeah. he's doing. uh they are scrambling around trying to prove what's happening because of him the They decide to go down and check out in the sewer, and then the people who are investigating are attacked by chuds, you mm-hmm. know, and that's actually kind of a although side note. Why do the police have flamethrowers in that scene? That's yeah, the one I didn't, thing I, 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 I didn't, don't I didn't, understand. I
1: didn't, I, I didn't get that. It was just like the cops have actual, the New York City cops have actual weapons they could have sent down there like flamethrowers. Again, it's a sewer. It, it's, it, it's sort of just like the sewer's full of flammable shit and you're going to send them down there with weapons that'll kill them almost as certainly as, as it'll kill the chuds. It was reminiscent of the scene in Aliens where they have to, you know, they're in the heat. Exchange thing and they can't, and they're, but they're complete with the cameras. I think the flamethrower
2: thing would make sense if we had established that the chuds were invulnerable to bullets and they were afraid of fire. Yeah, and yeah, and that they were afraid of. And instead, I mean, even the gas thing is so half baked. Yeah, mean, uh, let, let's let's put this out here. Chud is not necessarily the most well written. An Executed film,
1: no, ever. because they use flamethrowers, they send these cops with flamethrowers down there while they're denying there's anything down there, right? So, you know, it's just like there's nothing down there, but here, take a flamethrower.
2: No, 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 that was because of the police officer. He, the government guy, just sent down a camera crew. Oh,
1: to okay, check yeah, it yeah, out. yeah, yeah. And yeah. then the
2: cop was like, Oh, that's funny because I sent my men down there too with flamethrowers, <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> which makes, by the way, even less sense, yeah. but so, um. Oh, but there's uh, even saying that though it's so entertaining it's so fun daniel stern is great yeah uh john Hurd. john heard
1: is great
2: actually second best
1: john Hurd film right behind home alone
2: oh yeah that's true
1: yeah how many home alone people are in this movie two, two three uh unless rico's dad was also in home alone which i i
2: think there's three home alone people in the movie
1: who else from Home Alone?
2: I don't remember, but I... Oh, yeah, Macaulay
1: Colkin Macaulay has a brief... He sees a Chud, and he slaps his face and screams. I hate you so much. No, I really do think there's Oh, no, another. okay. The guy who played Uncle Frank looked out the window when he saw a Chud. He goes, look what you did, you little jerk. And the Chud hangs its head and goes back down <laughs> into the sewer.
2: No, there's another, there's okay, another okay, Home
1: Alone. Okay, so Joe Pesci... Can you stop... <laughs>
2: Oh my god i hate you so much no uh there's another person but i don't remember who it is someone's commented that there's three oh, we'll look it up we'll look it up uh you piece of crap anyways point being you better find out who the fuck else i'm gonna look it was in right
1: chud now. that was in Home but World. talk a
2: little bit about i think it's interesting to me because you you talked about what do you think it's like a, a metaphor for a representation of i do think this movie is a lot about anxieties about new york city and anxieties about the way that we're treating the urban environment to some
1: extent um i mean i i I think one of the reasons that i i think this movie is still kind of relevant is that one of the big themes is like when i first saw this movie i was like okay it takes place in the 80s there's a marginalized group of people who are suffering from something the ruling class is ignoring the problem until it gets too bad and it affects them, and even then they're not handling well. Okay, this is clearly about the HIV epidemic. But, which it, you know, which it still, you know, it, it could be, you know, you, you could definitely see parallels in that. But the way I look at it now, and it's like, this is like every single ecological crisis that has happened for as long as I can remember when it comes to the way the U.S. government handles it. Like, there's something very clearly wrong. They try to, you know, half-ass you know, covered or not covered up, but they, they, they handle it poorly. They downplay its significance. And then when it comes out that it's actually much worse than they originally thought, it's like, okay, well, you know, what do you want us to do about it? And they still can, they still brush it off as like, it's not a big deal. You know, like I said, I I think the uh, the theme of this movie is essentially, uh you know, anxiety of, I don't want to say rich white people, but Yeah. Of there being a problem and them not caring until it actually starts to affect them. And then even then, even then not really admitting there's a there, there's a problem. Yeah,
2: I mean, there's the... Um, oh, IMDb says three actors, but it doesn't say who they are. <laughs> Motherfucker. <laughs> this film features a total of three actors who would later go on to play roles in Home Alone, in the oh. Home Alone series. Hmm, I'm going to have to look and see. So I think there's this anxiety about people there's a there's an underlying issue and no one's gonna deal with it until they're breaking out of the sewer and, and murdering everyone
1: yeah I mean this is also the time when Ronald Reagan was letting people out of you know mental facilities left and right and you know these people were you know gravi- they had nowhere else to go so they were gravitating towards these desolate urban environments and it's I figured it out who is it
2: Christopher Curry who plays the police officer he was not in home alone he was in Home Alone three.
1: That doesn't count. That doesn't. Get Whatever, but he's the fuck the, the, about
2: it. The Home Alone series.
1: That is not who you were. There's no way you saw this movie. we were like, that's the guy from Home Alone three. Shut the fuck up.
2: You don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> no, but yeah, I mean that uh, that feeling of we we're, we're not going to deal directly with the issue. We're not going to acknowledge it. But I think also there was a general feeling that the city wasn't safe. I mean, even before the Chuds, all the opening shots are of trash. Of people graffiti. living outside, yeah. of graffiti, of nefarious types—that's um, all going on there. But then, even when they humanized to a small extent, they don't really go out of the way the way they should. A lot of the folks who are homeless
1: in the film are crazy people. But, Characters are crazy people too. Not yeah. even like, not even like legit. Like, like they—they they took like a actor and they were like, "Hey, we know you've never interacted with someone who's homeless, but uh." at crazy and just then, be crazy that'll yeah. work
2: but I, even saying that though it's still a more human portrayal in some ways yeah. the the movie's at least willing to acknowledge that these folks are ignored that no one cares about them that yeah. no one cares about their lives that they've been disappearing for months yeah and i think that that actually you know one of the logical flaws in the movie at first is well how are there all of a sudden all these fucking chuds but if you really think about the movie, the movie doesn't spell it out for you, but if you really think about it, oh, actually, they've been storing this these chemicals down there not for a year, but for years, and, and that that's, people have been disappearing for a while. That's another
1: thing. It's I always kind of assumed it was like the Chuds had gone through like their easy food source, and they were coming up to the surface now, and that's why quote unquote right. normal people were starting to d- disappear. And not only is it. You know, a whole thing of, like, the police and low-level, like, average citizens not caring because it wasn't affecting them. The U.S. fucking government from the start was like, just dump this shit down there. It doesn't, they're just homeless people. It doesn't matter. And and keeping in mind,
2: this is in Reagan's America. So I, I don't, this feels like a caricature to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not. I don't actually think it's
1: a caricature. It's not that that the makers of the film are like. There's literally toxic waste yeah. under New York. I don't think Douglas Cheek was looking was setting out to make a uh, like a very politically charged film, but I think it could be seen as one.
2: It's it's or or to put it to say like basically that it exposes something that people are feeling. That if you had said you know, uh, Reagan, he'd probably just throw a bunch of shit under the city. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah. He probably, he, why the would. fuck wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so some of that's going on, I think as far as it relates to the idea of eco terror specifically, you know, it's not as poignant as last winter, which we're going to get to, but I, I do think it represents this idea that we could easily ignore a problem until it was an issue yeah. that, that, that the environment And what we do to the natural world is something that we could literally just sort of, like, shrug off, not really care about, until it's a problem. Now, granted, it's not an apocalyptic thing, you know.
1: Not in Chud, anyway.
2: Yeah, or that's what I'm saying, for Chuds. Yeah. For for the movie Chud and the Chuds themselves. They're an issue, but um, it's not, like, an end-of-the-world-level event the way other movies might be. But I think... The basic anxiety is there that we just don't give a fuck, and that's yeah. why this is going to happen. It's not going to happen. No one's out to end the environment; they just don't care.
1: And it's not even like an irreversible thing, like an unfixable thing. It's just people don't give it. Like again, the U.S. government just like dumped it there. They didn't have to. Like nope, they did. They really have to dump this shit in New York fucking city of all places, and and it was just like that's where the problem comes from. Like some such a simple thing that could be taken care of. And it just like was like, oh, whatever, who gives a shit? And now dogs are being pulled in the manhole covers, men are being devoured alive in front of their grandchildren, and John Goodman is being slaughtered by flirting with a waitress. <laughs> and they're coming up through our basements. Yeah. I mean, there's also this feeling in
2: New York that you are never... Yeah, the the movie officer represents this feeling of New York. Like, if you notice, there's no safe spaces. No, every building is connected to the underground. The chuds if, can get you wherever. Yeah, and the chuds are almost like a physical manifestation of all the gritty, gross shit about New York. And if you're just ignoring it, it's going to get you. Like, you're walking around. You know, it's 1984. You're going to I don't know Studio 54. Some yeah. bullshit. You're like you're basically pretending like Manhattan is a is the home of glitz and glamour. And meanwhile, there's all this grimy bullshit just everywhere. Underneath. Just just underneath you. And if you don't pay attention, it's going to come up, break into your shitty fucking Soho apartment, yeah. and then some shit's going to go down. Yeah. You know, like.
1: <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, it, it, it really is like, I mean, uh, that's just, yeah, that's just nothing. It, that, that's all I can really say about that is the, 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 the chuds.
2: <laughs> so uh, I think uh, this is definitely eco-horror, I think, uh, or eco-terror, or whatever you want to say. Uh, I'd say
1: it's more horror, because there's, there's very little, uh, they don't leave much of the imagination no, of the world, that's in the true. world of the chuds.
2: That's true. Um, if you like this sort of campy 80s, basically monster movie, I mean, it's a monster movie in a way that uh, it feels like was kind of over in some ways by 1984, Oh yeah, this but is, it's like a classic monster I mean, movie in some sense. This, you is, know?
1: Th- this is definitely like in the same vein, like 80s vein is like. Piranha or yeah. um, like a, you know, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Like, I mean, message aside, it's definitely got the. Uh, I mean, it's got all the classic tropes of a great monster movie. Like, yep. there's something coming from below. Uh, you know, they used to be us, and now there's something that's not us. Um, so yeah, I mean, like any any, any political subtext aside, it, it's definitely like I would say it's one of the the great monster movies of the, of the 80s like
2: yeah and and one that still manages to bring in so much very 80s stuff about it
1: oh my god yeah like this this movie is one of those uh i mean th- this is I, i've seen so many show flyers that use oh sure that sure. that that that, sure. that poster oh uh, yeah i mean yeah. like like shy hello did a did a chud tribute t-shirt like it's it's a very i mean there's no overt references to i mean aside from the bowery bums it's not like at any point there's like some mohawk dudes but this movie has a very like a very punk rock feel to it um just based on the time period and especially where it is like the fucking bowery bums like cbg's man um it is funny too
2: daniel stern looks like he could have walked on the set from abc no rio just his outfit yeah, yeah. you know but uh yeah there's a, it's 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 one of those films that is not a a punk movie, but it, it has that... You can tell why it appealed to people, why it had that sort of, like, um, subcultural appeal to it.
1: Yeah, know? yeah. Um, yeah, so if you've never seen Chud... We didn't even really spoil the ending, aside from... I mean, it's it has a great ending. It has a great ending. You should see it. You should have seen Chud by yeah, now. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, just fucking... Ugh. What's your fucking issue, man? Yeah, cease posing and see this fucking movie. Yeah. All right. So, are we were, uh, anything else to say about the chuds? Don't see Bud the Chud. Don't see Bud the Chud. <laughs> I, you know, so here's the thing. I haven't seen the sequel since I was a well, kid. Do you know what the sequel originally was? No. The sequel was originally the first draft of Return of the Living Dead Three. Oh God. And then they decided to make it a chud sequel. That's why if you look up images for Bud the Chud or for Chud Two Bud the Chud, there are no fucking chuds. Bud the Chud is just like a fucking zombie. And they're like, no, he's a chud. And then Brian Yuzna made the glorious abomination that is Return of the Living Dead Three. That was, you know, actually the movie that turned into that. But yeah, Bud the Chud, the Chud Two, Bud the Chud was originally supposed to be Return to Living Dead Three. I,
2: I'm not gonna lie; everything you're saying makes me want to watch
1: it. <laughs> no, I know. Like it, it's definitely like it, it definitely like. I mean, I kind of want to see it too, uh, but it's it's not from everything I've read. It, it's not nearly as good as. Uh, the first one.
2: All right. So Justin says, "See Chud, but not Bud."
1: Yeah, avoid avoid Bud.
2: <laughs> All right. So we'll take a quick break. Yeah,
1: and then be then we'll back be back to, to talk, talk about line. the last winter. The last winter.
0: Here. It's pure white nothingness. Where's my welcoming party? How you done <laughs> We need to talk you and me. We don't need the others. I'm not gonna sign something just because you need me to. That's the wrong answer. The world we grew up in is changed forever. There is no way home. What's happening? What do you say about it, Hoffman? It's coming up from the ground. Ghosts. I'm telling you, there's something out there that's trying to drive us out of here. Listen, listen, listen. I need evidence. There's a corpse outside.
1: That's evidence of something.
0: Ah, I'm in charge
1: here. I'm out of here.
2: Right, Larry Fessenden's. And we're back. Larry Fessenden's The Last Winter.
1: Larry Fessenden, you know what? I, I don't think I've ever told anyone this, so I'm going to tell you this right now. I'm going to con- confess to you guys. Larry Fessenden, when I first saw what he looked like, which was in uh, We Are Still Here he, when he's in that movie. Sure. You know what I first thought? You're not going to guess this. There's no, you're, there's no way you're going to guess this. It's like, oh, that's the weird guy in the, remake of, in, in the remake of Night of the Living Dead who comes up behind Barbara. When towards the end, when she escapes the house and like grabs her in like a headlock, and then when she turns around and look at him, he gives her this wide, crazy eye look. that's not Larry Fessenden at all, but I was like <laughs> <laughs> that's who it looks like
2: i I was familiar with uh, I mean as you know we, we we watched it from my I got the Larry Fessenden box set, which Sounds like I'm a big Larry Fessenden fan, but to be fair, I got it to review, and then I just never reviewed it because I'm an asshole. But, <laughs> but I knew him for two reasons. One is I'd actually heard of his movie Habit, which I think – it's actually his second film, but I think Habit is the movie that sort of like pushed him into the public yeah, yeah. eye a little bit. But I also knew that he ran Glass Eye Picks. Okay. Uh, which, uh, if you're unfamiliar, has put out a number of films by a young director named Ty West, mm-hmm. uh, and then some other things that I think have also gotten some attention. But I really knew him because of the Ty West films. Like, oh, Ty West has these movies out that are on Glass Eye Picks. Larry Fessenden, look him up. He's extras. He's an extra in, so, or not an extra, but at least has a smaller role in so many horror films. Like, yeah. if you look at his acting filmography, it's far more than his directorial yeah. filmography and i think partly that's like a funding thing like it's you know he he's put his own shit out so it's been harder to do stuff or whatever um if because of the box set i was able to see some older glass Eye pick stuff and really he started uh out as like an avant-garde video guy like they had like a thing where they would do performances and videotape it and show that stuff Hmm. So uh, he directing really came years after him already creating content that was more strange and interesting in its own thing.
1: I, I kind of want to see some of that just because I, I, I uh, this is the only movie, only movie of his that he's directed I've ever seen. Oh well,
2: you can just borrow the box. Oh
1: right, you That's don't right. have a Blu-ray player. I live. I I was born in 1572. <laughs> 1572, on a small hill in New York, <laughs> and I have a DVD player. I don't have a Blu-ray player. Oh, my God. But, what I want to know
2: about that, though, is um, where do you find plugs that you can plug a DVD player into? Because isn't it, it's uh, the old... It's an archaic
1: technology. Yeah, 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 My whole house is a tribute to the past. It's a step above steampunk. Well, I was going to say, the only, my only problem with your
2: house is all the coal. Yeah. I just get so frustrated. So much coal everywhere.
1: Yeah, it's insane. Like, there's just shoveling. We have a small <laughs> child in the basement to keep us warm in those winter months when the sun goes away.
2: Well that's just fashionable that's not.
1: Yeah. Um what's weird about what's we, actually before I go on about talk, talk about, a little about bit of... how I found this movie um what this movie is about is um there's a oil drilling project up in Alaska which there you go never goes well for anyone in movies or real life. Um, and there's a cons- like Ron Perlman comes back from somewhere He's the head of this 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 drilling company and the team he's the head team head head of the team yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're having a problem bringing these rigs in because the weather has been not too warm too unstable the what the, the temperatures have been fluctuating too crazily for the ice to to freeze solid enough to be for the for them to drive the ice roads which an ice road if you're familiar with the hit television series ice road truckers is how they get around up there so the there's like the conflict most of the conflict the inter between actual people is there's like Ron Perlman and then there's his like ex-girlfriend, I think, and then other people. And there's a guy from, I guess it's the EPA.
2: No, he's like, an in, I get the feeling he's an independent uh, scientist. He considers himself, he considers that he's working for the people. Um, he says
1: the, the people, yeah,
2: the government, but he's let go by the company.
1: Yeah. But there's this guy there who's there to make sure that they're only up and up and they're doing everything that they should be. Uh, Some creepy shit happens. Um, One of the characters begins deteriorating mentally. He starts talking about things that, uh, you know... Oh, also, in the very beginning, there's a montage where they talk about... And then they never explain why the, the first drilling thing was abandoned. I guess 20 years before this movie took place, there was a drilling project... And then it was just abandoned, and all that's left is this there's this pipe out in the middle of nowhere, like a white box over it. And um, this character starts, like, having these, like, uh, I guess, hallucinations, and he starts talking about, oh, you know, what's down there is coming up, it's rising, and, you know, we're pulling this out of the ground, and it's coming up to meet us, and this, that, the other thing, and um, some, you know, horrific supernatural shit goes down, and blah, 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 and, you know, we all pay for our collective hubris of fucking with mother nature.
2: Yeah. It's, um, I mean, people who've seen Larry Fessenden films, uh, he right after habit, he did it. I mean, I'd say it like you've seen his au and it's literally four feature length movies with a bunch of shorter films, but one of his movies, which was not very successful, both, uh, monetarily, but also artistically is a movie called the Wendigo. Um, and he... God, I forgot he did that movie. And he... That comes from an obsession. He's obsessed with Wendigo myths and the Wendigo in general. They and talk
1: about the Wendigo at
2: some point in this movie. Well, so what, what happens after he made the Wendigo, there was a lot of talk... There were a lot of people who liked the idea of the Wendigo, didn't like the Wendigo. Yeah. If that makes sense. And a lot of that had to do with funding. He only had so much money to make that movie, and he had to reshoot half the movie because the special effects they were using didn't work. They had a full giant Wendigo suit. Yeah. That they thought looked really cool. And then when it came to editing the movie, they realized the Wendigo suit looks stupid. And so then they had to go back and reshoot all the Wendigo scenes with more interpretive stuff. So the movie was shot over a few months. And then, a, and then a, over editing, they realized that sucked. And they had to go back the next year for the winter and reshoot. Oh, man, that sucks. So it, they ate up a lot of the funding. And so the movie's a mess. It, it, and it has some great performances in it, actually, by some great actors Still a mess, just a just a you know disaster of film, but uh, he 's always been interested in the Wendigo since then there was uh, options for a while for a Wendigo cartoon. They actually were almost made a Wendigo cartoon where the spirit of the Wendigo would go around and like uh, hurt and torture people or not like super violently, but would basically attack polluters, and the Wendigo would get its revenge on polluters all across the world, which kind of works, except for the Wendigo is very much a winter spirit. I mean, it's from Canada. And not at all about pollution. Well, the idea is that the Wendigo would be the spirit of the ancestors, and so the ancestors are mad at the white people, basically, for polluting.
1: More more of what we talked about at the beginning of this episode. More white people anxiety nonsense. Sure, sure, sure. But I
2: I think in the last winter, it actually kind of works. That, okay, well, here are these spirits rising up. Um, the film allows for outside of the special effects, the film allows for anything could be happening. People could just be going crazy. Yeah, It could just be some weird environmental thing, whatever. Then they add the special effects and it's really clear that these are just Wendigos Yeah. When, are, when the guy. Yeah, wendigo. guy that right. are like murdering or whatever. But uh, I do want to go a little bit back and talk about some of the people that are in this movie because you're just like some guy, some girl. Uh, let's be clear here. Connie Britton
1: from American Horror Story the first season
2: uh, far more importantly Friday Night Lights and Zach Guilford also from Friday Night Lights and I, I think of the special features if I remember correctly I think Connie Britton got the job and then recommended Zach Guilford for those people who like myself and all real people are Friday Night Lights fans so all
1: the other all, all the other none of the people that listen to this podcast that are familiar with Friday Night Lights
2: No, lots of people are familiar with Friday Night Lights. Uh, Also, is uh, Kevin Corgan is actually
1: surprisingly good in this movie. I love Kevin Corgan. Yeah, he's always like he's like he kind of reminds me almost of like Jack Nicholson. Like no matter how uh, he could be like, it doesn't matter what character he's playing. That dude is always up to fucking no good. Like you know what I mean? He's always got that look about him, and he's always like so. He's just. I don't know. He he's such an underrated actor, and I I, I, I don't think I don't feel he's in like enough shit. Yeah.
2: So uh, they, but they're important in the film, and I wanted to make sure we highlight them because I love them. But uh, it's it's a it's a movie that it's actually in some way similar to Chud in that there's an outside force that is threatening us, but we are as the not as the humans, the normal people, yeah, too busy fucking just picking on each other and and a lot of that revolves in this movie around Ron Perlman and Ron Perlman is actually in a lot of ways similar to the government person in Chud only unlike in Chud the government official in Chud is flawed in his need to be secret but he is also omnipotent he really knows what's going on in this movie Ron Perlman's character is so Insecure and prejudiced. And stupid. And stupid. But his stupidity comes from a political place. Like, it is not... Larry Fessenden is not being subtle here. I feel like in all three... You could really actually say that... um, there's an element of eco-terror in three of his four movies. Yeah. Uh, the first His first movie is really like a Frankenstein movie, but it's about animal testing. It's li- it's actually so vegan, it's really offensive to me that you haven't seen it yet because it, it sort of comes across... Which movie is this again? Uh, the fir- first one I ever read, I believe it's called The Frankenstein Complex or something like that. i definitely
1: going to have to check this out.
2: It's um It'll probably it, have- has, it has another name that it's more known. I think it was originally called The Frankenstein Complex, but I think it's also called... Boo, 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 boo. Oh, I'm looking it up right now. Anyways, the point is, uh, he has a series of films uh, that are related to some eco-concern, something about the way we treat the environment. And, and I feel like The Last winner is different in that a lot of those other films have a more mm, hands-on thing in that the first movie is about testing on animals. Um, Wendigo is is kind of related to hunting and, and our... Uh, kind of getting involved in things that maybe we shouldn't get involved in. But, oh, that first one's called No Telling. Mm, No Telling. I like that. But The Last Winner is such a large scope film, and it's one that I think represents, to some extent, his anger over this issue. That Ron Perlman's character is, is, you could say, it's not subtle. It's a little heavy-handed. Only... It's not, right? Like,
1: people really are like, well, this global warming shit. Who fucking cares? I I would say it is heavy-handed, but so is that attitude of like, you know, the idea of like, yeah, if global warming's real, then why is it like 20 degrees outside? Hmm? Yeah, that's what I thought. I mean, let's be clear about this too. They want to drill,
2: so there's a spot where they had discovered oil and it was, they weren't allowed to drill for whatever reason. And, the well, Wendigo-related incidents. The film kind of makes it clear that it was already nefarious, right? Yeah. There was already something going on. Yeah. Um, but for the current government, which at the making of this film would have been the Bush administration, yep. the Bush administration's like, fuck it, drill, this will be great. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, the, the oil company has these eco dudes there. They're just there for show. And Ron Perlman's really- They're the...
1: completely incompetent.
2: And, and it's, you know, in the film- you could be distracted by Ron Perlman's attitude and think, Ron Perlman's just trying to get shit done. But it be- if you really pay attention, and I noticed it more on this viewing, Ron Perlman's under pressure. that they, He went back and they said to him, you make this shit fucking happen. Because what's been happening oh, yeah, is, yeah. as you said, the ice road isn't working. It's not cold enough. Now, no one seems to get this. Like, look, you're in a place that's always frozen. And you can't get it frozen enough to drive the trucks on the ice road. So maybe that means... This whole fucking thing is a bad idea. But no, Ron Perlman's not hearing that. He's like, "Look, we've got these what are they called? Obagans or whatever they are." Yeah, and he's
1: like trying to get the guy to sign off. He's like, "Just sign the papers. Sign off on Just it, sign like off. It. Just sign off.
2: Now, he keeps saying in the movie, "The global warming, blah, global warming." And the dude's like, "No, no, 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 no. You don't understand. It's never been this warm before, ever." Yeah. Even when it ra- when it rains. So at a certain point, it's February in Alaska, and it, it starts rains. raining. Yeah. And the native folks in the movie. There's two characters who uh, I think are are well, they're Inuit. they're Inuit. Yeah, they're Inuit. No, they're they're Inuit. God damn it! I know. Uh, they're 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 Inuit, and one is particularly traditional, and the other one is more of a materialist. Uh, You know, so there's a female character, and she's very like, oh, the spirits and the ancient ways. And then the guy's like, "Eh, whatever, I don't care about that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm not into that. That seems stupid. When it rains, both of these characters are like, fuck. Yeah. What the fuck is going on? Why is it raining right now? And not like, why is it raining? It's so weird. But like,
1: this this is is wrong. This is literally This is against the will of fucking nature. (laughs) Yeah.
2: And so I think in that sense, um, the film is very... If you're willing to buy into how dramatic these issues are, the film is actually very dramatic. But if you're not thinking about how important in the long run global warming is for everything, it's kind of a slow move. It's kind of a movie that doesn't have a lot going on. It
1: it definitely, um, you had touched upon before how Wendigo uh, suffered from, they kind of sort of ran out of money. And as much as I like this movie, this movie kind of feels like at some points especially when it's like some of the special effects like um, not like the, the the special effects that got like really hokey where it was sort of like like okay if a character sees something monstrous there are ways to dis- there are ways to show that they are seeing something something monstrous that don't actually show them seeing something monstrous like Steven Spielberg did Jaws it barely showed the shark but you knew there was something there um, this movie At times it was kind of interesting, especially, spoiler, when the, um, I think his name is Max. He's the kid that, like, gets the camera. There's a scene where this one character, Maxwell, who's, like, he's, like, deteriorating because he is just falling apart because there's something out there that's, like, haunting him. In the middle of the night, he just, completely naked, walks out into the tundra with his camera, and he keeps repeating the phrase, did you see it? And, because he is seeing something out there. And then he turns the camera towards his face, and it's kind of Blair Witchy. But it still works, and there's, the last thing you see is something rushing over his shoulder. And I remember the first time I watched this movie, I was like, holy fuck, that was really creepy. I hope they don't show what you see. I, ho- I hope they don't show what that was. I really hope they never exp- – I hope it's just like this thing that was out there. And then like at the end, they show the, the Wendigos walking around and attacking people. And it's like they didn't really need to I, – I feel like – if they really put the time into it, they could have explained all that going on without actually showing the really subpar CGI. And also...
2: I at- think, though, think the, the, just a note on that, because I have watched special features, I don't think they knew it was subpar CGI. I think this movie for Fess and Dan, at least at the time, is like, we finally have the money to do my vision, <laughs> yeah. my CGI vision. Yeah. And in retrospect... It looks hokey. It looks But I really think bad. at the time, for what Glass Eye Picks was doing, this was their highest budget movie they'd ever done. They never had star talent
1: like Ron Perlman. They never had. James LaGrosse, I mean, the star of Phantasm 2, come the fuck on, man. But
2: I mean, but both Connie, you got to remember too, this movie came out when. Uh, Friday Night Lights was still in the air. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. Connie Burton and the other guy, Zach, dude, these are actual pools Now, not so pool I mean, this movie clearly played film festivals and a couple of art houses. So, yeah. but you got to keep in mind, Glass Eye Picks in general was a pretty low budget affair. And yeah. so I feel like this money was more and in fact in the special features for this film there's a few points where he actually kind of laments the budget like man when you have this much money you actually gotta do you gotta deliver like yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a lot more pressure now yeah. than with some of our other movies like when he was making his first movie you know he just do whatever and no one's gonna you yeah he just hope it works and whatever that being said i agree with you there's a few cgi moments that are not maybe from a like a really if you're really into cool special effects there's a few CGI moments that are not great but none of them are terrible either they're all fine until
1: the end the end sequence are we talking about the very very end yeah that was a scene where i was like they ran out of fucking money and they didn't know how to show what was going on oh like. i don't even mean that i mean the climax
2: i'm sorry i oh, meant the well, where, climax where where, with where, Ron Perlman where, and,
1: where it's the there's the multiple ones yeah fighting. like the
2: quick flashes of the wendigo and whatever those yeah. are fine but this the 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 climax where i mean, uh, plot wise i love it there's no hope in this movie and it's great but uh but something could have happened to our man from Phantasm 2 and Ron Perlman that was more satisfying than them just going, Ugh yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. Then there's a Wendigo things like, and again, that's not a huge knock on this movie. Like, I think the movie overall actually kind of works, especially if... You're one a rational human who's actually afraid of
1: global warming. Yeah, yeah. Like you understand <laughs> the implications of the fucking hell that is going to bring that is going to come down upon our children and grandchildren. Yeah, <laughs> and we're not going to have great grandchildren because it ends after that. Yeah. Um, what's kind of like cool about this movie is I, I I got into this without knowing who Larry Fessenden was. Sure. I I I didn't. I only watched this because this was, um, this was right. This was right after my. I was like, you know what. Make my peace with Ron Perlman. I'm going to check out some of his movies. Okay, you talked about this. What was your issue with uh, Ron Perlman? Uh, Blade 2. Because of Blade 2, you had h-
2: written off Ron Perlman. I had written
1: off Ron Perlman. <laughs> what? Because I love, I love Blade 2. Uh, ex- with the exception of Ron Perlman and Norman Reedus' character, I think Blade 2 was a fantastic movie. Okay. I think that movie like was one of the, like, the movies that like sparked my love for, for Guillermo del Toro. Sure. But like... Like, I like the idea that there's this, like, pack of, like, vampire hunters who are vampires and they're hunting, like, other vampires. I think it's, like, kind of cool. But then <laughs> fucking Ron Perlman comes up. He's, like, you know, says all this, like, kind of, sort of, racist shit, you know? He's, like, do you tan? Like, get the fuck out of here, man. Like, don't say that shit. Like, and then just the way he acts and he's, like, he just, he's, like, ultra stylistic and just dumb.
2: Had you not seen either Kronos or... Uh City of Lost Children. At I have not
1: seen either of those movies at this point. Oh man! Yeah. Did you have you seen them since? I've seen. We watched Kronos. We did. Oh, we did that. watch. Kronos. I've never seen City of Lost Children. That's what I meant. Yeah. City of Lost. But Lost I mean, Children. this was before. This was before I saw Hellboy because Hellboy mm-hmm. was a movie where I was like, all right, Ron Perlman, he fucking got it. Um, and then I watched this movie, and I because it's like, you know, any movie, any horror thing that sets up, there's people in an isolated location. And it's wintry out, and something is stalking them. You can't go wrong with that. Um, and I, I think, like, like this this movie. Uh, my verdict on this movie is that, like, it, it definitely achieve the message it, 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 it seeks to get out. In that, climate change is real. We caused it. We're pretty much fucked. Yeah, it it, it it's that it, it gets that across. But in actual making an actual film, I think it. I think it's fine. But I, I really think like kind of towards the end, there are moments when it just like falls apart.
2: I will. I will say I agree with you. At the very very end, there's a denouement with uh, Connie Britton. I agree that I think at that point it does feel a little bit like they ran out of money. <sighs> but I don't hate what they did with. it. I think that's fine. Yeah. I think that it's it's only. Part of my thing with that scene, though, is, um, and I guess we'll just say, even though a lot of people haven't seen this, we'll just say spoilers. But everybody dies except for Connie Britton, and she wakes up in this hospital, and there's a something on the news about the weather, and there's a, there's a cup of spilled urine on the floor. Floor. There's a doctor who's killed hang, himself. Hang self, yeah, and then she goes out, and it's raining, and then she kind of looks, and when we don't see what she sees, and. I agree with you. There are times when you don't see what a character sees and it's effective. And in this case, the way the camera moves, it just feels like they couldn't, It, it feels very clumsy. I will say this about it. Again, they don't highlight it, but if you, anyone who's been to Alaska will immediately be like, when did she get, you know, sky lifted yeah. to Seattle? Yeah. And if she didn't get skylifted to Seattle, which I don't think she did, I think she's supposed to be only a few miles from yeah, where well, she they, was they, before. They, they, they,
1: keep, they make occasional references. we got to get in to Fairbanks. Like, is Fairbanks Alaska some bustling metropolis where everything is okay? Well, I like, just think that's, like, the closest
2: hospital to where they yeah, are, yeah, yeah. Fairbanks. But the idea is she walks out of the hospital, and there's a puddle, and it's raining, and there's wind. And I see that, and I go oh, this is much worse. You know, like that just in the time since she was cowering in a closet, worried about hiding from crows, hiding from (laughs) crows (laughs) to now, things have actually gone even worse just in a few days that it's that much because the film makes a few points of exponential change, that it's going to exponentially, that the things are going to escalate quickly um so that part is a little haunting to me in the sense of like oh what is happening but you're right the way it's filmed is so clumsy because that they, if you've ever seen a movie before you're gonna go
1: why they why is that angle why is that the angle? it's a bad angle it's like it's it, it like it, it's almost like i'm i, I guess I, I i come off as kind of a snob when it comes to this like but like it's like i have no Personal experience. I've never done a movie. I've never done anything with cinematography. But I was like watching this and I was like, just like, is that a complete shot? Are they done panning down like that? Why don't they pan around and show her face? Like, there was so much. I was like, you could do so much cool shit without actually showing what she's seeing. And it's like they just, it's like the camera broke in the middle of the pan and they're like, just fuck it, keep it. Like, keep the shot. Who gives a shit? Like, I mean, and, and the, the reason this sticks out even more, and what, what, what bums me out even more about this, is there's a shot towards the beginning of the movie that I remember the first time I saw this. It's the scene right after, because the character Maxwell, who's like the young, he's like the greenhorn, he disappears one night. And then he comes back, and they're like, where the hell were you? And he's like, well, you know, it's was out. It was just out. And then like, he, he's like, it kind of gets glossed over, but like he has like a GPS thing, and like, this says he walked 300 miles. And they're like, they never explained that. And I are like, that's pretty fucking creepy. Like, right. the first time I saw it, I was like, "To say aliens. The aliens took him. That's what that is. I'm <laughs> done watching this fucking movie. But there's this scene where he's, like, standing in his room looking out the window. And um, another character comes in, and they're like, Max, are you okay? And he's, like, talking about just, it's out there. You know, it's coming out of the ground. Don't let me forget. I want to talk about something with James LaGrosse's character, James LaGrosse's character, too, then. He's like, oh, it's coming out of the ground. And the camera's, like, slowly zooming in on him, and his back is still towards the camera, and there's, like, this, like, big suspenseful buildup, and the first time I saw this, I was like, he's going to turn around, and he's going to be, like, something monstrous, and then he just turns around, and he's just a kid, and he's like, oh, but I feel fine, and I'm like, wow, that was, like, really, that was really effective, because it was, like, there was, like, this big lead up, and then to nothing, like, and I don't mean, like, it was a lead up to nothing in, like, a bad way, it was, like, it definitely had you thinking that something really, really creepy was about to happen, and then he just turns around, and he's like, oh, hey, what's up?
2: I think I want to be, uh, we're going to come back to your James Gross point, but uh, I, I think I want to be sensitive to the movie because I think the task that Fessenden has set himself is a hard one. Yeah. Because as I said, this is the biggest budget movie I think Glass Epix had ever done to that point. It's still a small budget film. He's got a small cast. He's shooting in only like two locations. Like there's not, there's not a lot there and you could probably do... I mean, think about other films that have tried to tackle this topic. Uh, what is it? Two Days Till Tomorrow or whatever the shit is. What's, oh, what's, The Day After Tomorrow by Roland Emmerich, star,
1: director of uh, Independent City Resurgence and yeah, day Resurgence. Yeah, I mean,
2: that, besides that being a shit show, it's also like a really uh, intense way to show the effects of global warming. And it ends up being crazy like
1: shitty disaster
2: but so much money and what like what he's trying to make frightening is a difficult thing to make frightening he's trying to do it from a perspective which is that the natural world is uh in some way i don't want to say spiritual but there's there's he he's coming from from a certain direction he's not making you could make a um like a post-apocalyptic Global warming movie. Yeah. You know, like he could have done a Mad Max film yeah. or there could be a
1: water world film. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. water world film. Sure. 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 um Like, you know, like the, like the Varus theory that that's what's really going on in Game of Thrones. But no. Um, <laughs> but back to, back to what we we're talking about. Uh, my point, my point is, is this that I think what he's trying to do is hard. So I want to give him a little bit of leeway because of that. But I think you're right. The end doesn't work. And it's, I, I, I don't love the 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 final shot with Connie Britton at all, but it really falls apart for me with the way that um, the James the Gross character and the Ron Perlman character, the way that they end. Yeah. And even the lead up to that is pretty good. We got to get to this one place. Oh, I have this little... It, when there's a giant goal and something as small as like my foot went in the water and I yeah. went in the water. Something about that's actually kind of cool. Like in the moment I'm so frustrated, but I'm like, but that's how it is. Right. They're yeah. in fucking Alaska. Like a, shit could go wrong. A tiny so thing could kill you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally. But then it's like, he just doesn't know how to, and it starts for me with the gimme your boot. Yeah. 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 Why does he say it then? Why are we, why are we at that point? I think it's exacerbated a little bit back at the camp when the one native American character just disappears. That literally <laughs> felt like that actor. They were just like, "All right, we don't have any more money for you, so uh, you could just go home. Just go home. We're done yeah. with this." And then the other name American character goes crazy out of
1: fucking nowhere.
2: Just and not that we haven't established that people become unhinged because of this thing, but the this none of the other ones have been violent, and this one there's no lead up. She's like, you know, a jolly overweight Inuit, and then all of a sudden she's like. <laughs>
1: It's it's not like in the thing where Wilfred Brimley is like showing signs of losing his shit, and then he. This is literally like completely out of nowhere. She she goes from like being like a cook and being everyone's like the mom character to literally murdering someone on a fucking table.
2: And it's so weird because it takes then the next part, which is Connie Britton kind of hiding, and then all these crows showing up. The crows showing up is actually kind of disturbing. But at that point, I'm still distracted by the fact that we're not really going anywhere with this ending. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And even then, then what? She passes out, and then they just the she wakes crows up fly out. to the hospital. She, yeah, And the crows were like, "We gotta get this woman to the hospital." Yeah, yeah like <laughs> we get we get the guys. We need a full murder to get yeah. this woman to the hospital. Yeah, we fucked around. Too, we fucked around too much this time, guys. We've really done it. <laughs> but yeah, so I agree with you that the the ending is a little disappointing. But that being said. I like Ron Perlman a lot in this movie. Yeah. Even though I hate his character, his portrayal of that character is so fucking satisfying. And I think it it accomplishes a lot for what it is and what it's trying to do. I just wish the ending was less disappointing. I love when he pisses the bed. Oh, yeah. So fucking good. It's what's funny about it is it's it's a point that is actually helpful for understanding his character, but it's also not necessary. Like that, Larry Fessenden was like, "How am I going to represent Ron Perlman's underlying weakness to all of his
1: like yeah, bluster?"
2: He, oh, I know, he'll piss himself.
1: <laughs> um, one of the one of the big problems that I that I have with this movie um, is the James LeGros character. He has like at, at some point, and it's not like a he goes out to, he has a shack on the outskirts of this camp that no one else knows about where he's been keeping this like weird, crazy journal. And all the times I've seen this movie, I always think like, and they they show him going to it, and then it, does anyone, like his assistant discovers it, but it's like, I think it would have been a lot more effective if his assistant had just discovered it and found this journal where he's writing all this crazy shit. But instead, like, it's not, like, it's not even like, it comes completely out of nowhere. It's not that like they establish him as this, like, unstable character. He's just, like, he's, like, yeah, he just goes out. He goes to the shack and starts writing a bunch of shit about, like, you know, God knows what, like, these, like, crazy ramblings. And every time I watch it, I'm, like, this seems like, again, going back to Wilford Brimley and the thing, like, when they find out what he's been writing about and he's been in the shack, it kind of feels that same way. Like, there's this character that knows something that the rest of them don't know, and this his, his finding is this big revelation And it's like, I felt like they were going for that, but then that just goes nowhere. See, I I think
2: that this is actually a sign of part of the weakness of this movie. I think that Larry Fessenden does not think when you hear what he's written in that journal that it's crazy. I think he actually thinks this is the rational, that any rational human who actually understands how bad global warming is will say these things. And that... um, what What is going on with the other character is more that reading this revelatory stuff from his mentor coincides with the spirit coming and sort of attacking him and starting his sort of breakdown. Yeah, yeah. But that what this dude's written, though it is contemplative and less scientific than anyone to write their scientific journal, yeah. it's not irrational, which... I know from when he's reading it, and we were watching it together, and you were kind of like, Bleh. "I was like, oh, like, um, Justin thinks this is like the unravel." You know what I mean? Like,
1: yeah, this sounds like a fucking like a, no, like the remnants of a lunatic. No,
2: it's that's supposed to be what normal humans would think. And if you don't think that way, then you're basically Ron Perlman. I'm not even kidding right now. I really you think really that's, think
1: that's what Fessenden was that trying to he's say? He's
2: not crazy. I I don't think he's crazy. That he's just um he is on the edge in the sense of he's very concerned again the the movie is trying to say like the readings he's getting are not like just numbers like there's a point where he records 61 degrees yeah celsius i don't know how much folks know about the arctic they're in the motherfucking arctic okay like like i think this is part of the issue here is that the, what he's trying to make tangible for us and scary is so fucking intangible that, like, why is this guy so contemplative? Why is he saying all this crazy
1: shit? So what you're saying is that what's going on is so horrible, it's taking a scientific person and just, like, they're...
2: It... He's so upset by it, he's just musing about it. He's just like, man, like, the world is like this, and what can I do, and everything is so terrible, and whatever. Okay. And that that... But that being said, again, I started this comment off with not a defense, but this is part of the problem with the movie. The actual performance from our man. What is his What's James, the actor? James LeGrosse. Is so bland. Yeah. That like the idea that he would actually have these deep thoughts and write them in his journal. I don't buy it. I don't buy it either. So so what I mean by that is to say, I don't think it's supposed to be his unraveling. I think it's supposed to be evidence that he's like kind of a smart guy and a deep thinker and he's yeah. really contemplating these tough issues. And I'm like that dude, like it doesn't come across in the movie is, no, is, like, I mean, is even, that he can do that.
1: Like, I mean, I think the only character who has any, like, I think Kevin Corrigan has that sort of like right. cynical introspective, like, yeah, shit's really bad, but like, that's what happens, man. Like, we knew it was coming and now it's here and we did nothing about it. Like I could see him being more like that, but James LaGrosse is just like, he spends most of the movie just like gazing cow eyed and dull at Ron Perlman and just being like, I can't believe this fucking asshole's yeah. in charge. Like, yeah. I, I, th-
2: I, I, again, um, I like this movie, but the other weak part besides the ending is James LaGrosse. He just doesn't really carry it. He doesn't really no, deliver. And, especially when some other actors are really killing it. The dude from uh, the Zach dude from Friday Night Lights, his performance is actually really disturbing. Like yeah. for, for a dude who I only know him from Friday Night
1: Lights. You know what he reminded me of? Um, not as like unraveled, but maybe it's just like the young, the young, the greenhorn falling apart at the, at the, at the mercy of something intangible. Uh, the character Justin from um, Event Horizon, the engineer. Yeah. That's what it reminded me of. And who ultimately like, pays the price for this before people are like, holy fuck, something is going on here. Like, I mean, and even, I mean, say what you will about Ron Perlman. Like, he's a dynamic actor. He brings something to the table. Like, having James LaGrosse as one of the main actors is just like, I mean, he's fine. He's a capable actor. I'm sure he does gr- uh, movies that are okay. I mean, he fucking ruined Phantasm too, and I know I keep coming back to that, but I really hate that movie. (laughs) You're
2: so funny. But, like... The fact that you care that much about it, though, is ridiculous. It's like...
1: He's so, like... I mean... It's it's a movie that all this, like, apocalyptic shit is going down, and he's one of the characters who has an in on it, and yet he's just like, I hope what's beneath that we're looking for doesn't rise up to meet us. And the readings... The sour gas. Like, <laughs> so like I, I'm, I'm just like, I don't give a. I don't know. It's
2: sour gas yes. or it's something. Something out there. I don't know, but we got to get
1: these people out yeah. of here. I'm not signing that paper. Why the fuck not? I need my men out here in trucks. You can't make me sign that paper, Ron Perlman. Like, get the fuck out They're of here. They're sending me home. Yeah. Oh, you're in
2: on it? You're just like him. Yeah, it's yeah, it's an uninspired performance. It, um, I think the performance from some of the other actors kind of uh, covers over some of the weak parts, in the, the scripts is not great. Like dialogue's
1: not I, great. I'm, I'm not it's, a big fan of Connie Britton either. I, I I don't. Oh, really? I think she's fine in the movie. She's fine. Mm-hmm. Really? She really bothers you? She was one of my least favorite things about American Horror Story. Oh my god! Get out of my face with that! I'm just saying. I mean, here's the thing. It
2: doesn't matter. The point is, is that. The only person for me in the film that's just, like, painful is 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 him. James LaGrosse. Yeah.
1: You can't even say his name. <laughs> no, I can't. Yeah, no, he's, he's... I keep forgetting. I'm like, who? Whatever. Phantasm a, two guy. He's really... No, I mean, because here's the thing about that guy, and I don't mean to go off on a tangent about James LaGrosse, <laughs> but... <laughs> yes, you do. Uh, what's funny is I guarantee um, my friend Katie, who listens to this podcast... I guarantee she's going to listen to this and be like, yeah, you fuck. I know it. you fuck James LaGrosse. Cause he's been in like, he's been in other shit too. I can't, I don't, I'm not looking, I'm going to look it up. Cause I w- I need to know what else James LaGrosse has been in, but he's always like, he was an enemy of the state. He was in point break. He was roach from point break. That's oh, what, okay. Right, yeah. Right, right, so he's right. always like, yeah, he, he's always like, he's in a lot of movies. And like I said, I'm sure he's, Oh, he was in the TV series Constantine. Um, he, 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 but he's so, like, he's so vanilla and, like, just dumb and, like, I don't know. He's very, I mean, he, I mean, not that this movie, again, if you've if you've been paying attention, not that this movie was flawless. It's not like this movie's a great movie and then James LaGrosse strolls on the set and fucking brings it down into the muck and the mire. But, like, I, I think this movie, it, it wasn't great enough. It wasn't good enough to afford to allow a performance like James Legros to happen in it. Like he, he definitely, he definitely takes away a lot from a lot from it. Yeah. And I'm distracted because I'm looking up on, Oh, he just so he does a lot of shit.
2: <laughs> well, okay. So let's, let's wrap up this, uh, last winter discussion. I, I mean, I think part of what this movie shows is that sometimes the things that we should be the most frightened of, are really hard to make a horror movie about i mean you know global warming is is a real threat i mean or climate change i guess is what they want to call it now just to avoid the warming conversation but yeah what the the idea even if some of the catastrophic weather things are not right at the very minimum the ice caps are melting to the amount that you shouldn't live on the coast. Like it's like yeah, getting yeah. to that point where the sea levels are, at minimum the sea levels are going to rise and there are literally even if you're saying like well it doesn't affect me, I live, you know, in the middle of America. I get that, but there are literal island nations that are like, "Hey guys, we're we're we're, we're going to be yeah, yeah, we're we're currently going underwater now, yeah. not in a few years. This is happening now yeah. and it's only getting worse." So, you know, Larry Fessenden at a time before we all went to sleep because we had a, li- a quote unquote liberal president, so we could <laughs> stop caring about things. Um, during a time when people were still really angry, the Bush administration was like, "Hey, global warming is some real fucking shit. I'm going to make a movie about it." It's just, I wish it was more successful. It's not a great movie. It's not terrible. I think we both would say you, if you watch it, you know that's fine. It's fine. Like, yeah, I, I think you would. I think it, it would be interesting to see this attempt. It's an attempt to do something unique. I can't name. I can't name a single other movie that so directly addresses an issue like this, like uh, an issue like global warming, or I
1: can. The day after tomorrow, start by directed by Roland Emmerich. Oh my god,
2: a movie that's to me more of a horror. I mean, that's that's a that's an event
1: movie. That's yeah. total disaster porn. Yeah, here. yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. That, I can't name a horror movie that tries to make it a. It's horror so directly about like a current political issue in such yeah. an obvious way, and i and especially one so intangible, there might be a few that deal with like terrorism and shit like that. But this is like a direct addressing of something that's very intangible and trying to make it
1: tangible i mean even even if you even if you aren't a fan of like political subtext or you know whatever it's still not a bad horror movie. Sure. I mean, it, like I said, it definitely uses a formula that's tried and true. There's a bunch of people out in the middle of nowhere and something's going after them. And, I mean, it works. Like, I would definitely recommend this movie.
2: I, I, think, I think what it points out to me, though, something that I've suspected for a while, which is that horror, though, is at its best when it indirectly addresses anxieties. Yeah, yeah. That, like, probably a drama or a... A thriller or a, a different kind of genre that was trying less to tap into our fears might have nailed this topic more. That, Absolutely, that's yeah. part. It's not the only reason the movie doesn't work. I think it also needed uh, a better special effects supervisor, a bit more money, and not James LeBros. <laughs> and those things would have made it a, a better movie. Yeah. But I also think horror is at its best when it indirectly. You know, uh, we've talked about this before, but like when we when you watch a religious. Horror movie, a movie that deals with religion and 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 people's fears. Very rarely is that movie actually made by a religious person who's like, "No, guys, really, the devil." Like, it's, yeah, yeah. It's often about other things going on in our lives. This movie, unless you want to say the underlying anxiety is that assholes are ruining the world, it's mostly about what it's about, and that doesn't make it a bad movie. But I think that it. It, the lack of subtext makes it less interesting than it could be, even though techn- the technical issues are part of the problem, yeah but there's also less there to pick at because it's just like yeah, it's about global warming yeah yeah it's yeah there's not there's no really oh it's interesting the way that... no it's it's you know it's fine it's, it's what it is. it is what it is
1: yeah it's it's not even like you know chud how you we you know you could multiple interpretations of what it's about like no there's no fucking beating around the bush with the last, win- I mean, in the last winter, like didn't, am I mistaken, does that come from like, no, 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 I'm sorry. I was gonna say, isn't that like, like one of the Inuit people like, my people have a legend about the last winter winter. No, no it's no. all James Legros, like this is fucking it. This is it. There's nothing after this.
2: Like, I mean, that's, that's, he literally, that's part of the ranting, yeah. which again, you were like, and he's going crazy. I'm like, no, I think did is saying that he's literally like, this is the last winter. Like, yeah, there will never be winter again. Yeah, sort of the opposite of
1: the Game current of, Game, yeah, Game of, of Thrones, Thrones yeah. thing. <laughs> All right. Well, I, again, I, I, we didn't love it, but you yeah, know, last one's a, a watchable movie. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think that's that's as good as a place that ever to, to good as a place as any to wrap it up. Um. As always, uh, thank you for tuning in. Um. We appreciate it. Uh. You can do us a favor by checking us out on Facebook, The Har Business. Facebook group, Uh, give us a share, give us a listen. Uh, Rate, review, and subscribe. I cannot stress that enough. I'm going to ask Liam to say it because he says it so much better. Rate, review, subscribe. That is how... Be awesome. And also
2: download. Uh, The the actual numbers we get on the website are more from download than they are from streaming. So even if you're planning to stream the episode, download it. Onto your device, laptop, computer, phone, whatever. Even if you're then going to erase it, that's fine. The numbers we get are based on downloads more than they are on streaming. So please, please, please download yeah. the episode.
1: I haven't really... Uh, I don't have all the information in front of me because my phone's about to die. But anyone who shared a tweet on Twitter or gave us a share or a like or whatever... I don't know the word for it. I'm. It's getting late and I'm, my brain's shutting down. Anyone who... Did like the follow back Friday. repost yeah, the repost. Yeah, 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 anything? Thank you so much, uh, anyone who's mentioned us. Uh, I'm looking at you, Justin Harlan, Jeff Tibalt. Uh, I know I'm forgetting people. Cody Gore, I've seen him. This dude on Facebook. People have asked about you know podcasts. Listen, he's he's given given us a shout out. We love it. Um, yeah, uh, you can. Yeah, just spread the word. It's it's really awesome. I really appreciate it. We can be reached Facebook. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at theharbiz666. You can reach us at theharbiz at gmail.com. Um, we have a couple episodes where we're going to have guests on soon. And I think we're going to like doing that. I think we're really going to like doing that. I think that. it'll be good. I'm really and, excited about and it. And like we've always said, if you want to come watch a movie with us, if you want to, if you have any questions or any suggestions or anything like that, or any any, th- any movies you think we should watch or any ideas for an episode – I mean, even if you're like, holy shit, they miss some ecological films, let us fucking know, because we'll do another episode. It's it's Yeah, cool. I mean, keep in mind,
2: no topic is used up. We watch two movies. Yeah, yeah. So, like, we can return to topics yeah. over and over again.
1: So, um, yeah, I guess, uh, thanks for listening. Until next time, uh, stay creepy. Is
2: that going to be your side off now? Stay creepy?
1: I don't know. Stay creepy. Stay freaky. Winter is here. I don't know. Winters. Fuck Ramsey Snow. <laughs> okay, bye. Peace.